1: It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League Rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL tour. Well, here we are, Boxhead. Bit of a... Surprise podcast, but it was a bit hard not to do one with the absolute chaos that has ensued in this off-season.
2: Mm. It, uh, it screams for a bit of law and order, I think, off the field from a governing body, but it's probably a, uh, a discussion we'll delve into. But the fact that there's not a, some sort of trade period or um, something to allow the clubs to move players and um, you know sort out contracts. Contracts now, they, they mean bugger all. To coaches, players, everyone, it's just become a bit of a fallacy for me, a bit of a farce.
1: Yeah, well, basically, it's good
2: to talk about, obviously, and everyone wants to hear about it. It makes you know plenty of publicity, but it is it's a messy situation on a whole heap of fronts.
1: Oh, it's ridiculous, but I think the main thing I think it's pretty obvious to everyone why we're doing this podcast is obviously there's been a lot of coaching movement, there's been a lot of player movement, whether it by mutual agreement, some, the old uh, forced exit. To get a better contract, or just to go somewhere else, and uh, also, I guess the talk now of all times, because of what's ensued now more than ever, for some kind of anti tampering punishments or some sort of payout clause or something, if a player wants to get out or a coach, there's got to be some kind of fine system, punish got to, anything, something, there has to be something put in place. But I think uh,
2: well, at the moment the games we're still operating like it's the nineties, and it's not the nineties.
1: No, it's not. The so 90s. get with the program. More. I mean the
2: fact that Brisbane and South Sydney were, you know, kept telling us through the media that you know we're, we're happy with the coach we've got. We'll, we'll swap the year after. The fact that they were going to have Anthony Seibold at the Rabbitohs managing the Broncos roster and Bennett at the Broncos managing the Rabbitohs roster. Like, who was ever going to fucking believe that that was going to happen? That was going to stay as it is. The, the fact is, that they kept peddling into the paper yeah, every day bother, and just... and bullshitting us through the media and lying. I mean, you could I could go through every club that's somehow lied and manipulated through the media. And the fact that people just keep biting on a hook, line, and sinker is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, it's,
1: yeah. I don't disagree. Well, where should we start? Players or coaches? Where do you want Wherever. To We've got to get through all of it. We'll do players first, I think, because I think coaches might ensue a bit more of a, a, bit more of a row as far as a, our reaction. But players, I think probably the big one or one of the first ones that popped up was obviously Valentine Holmes. So we all know... He wanted to go to the Cowboys. Uh, you know, His partner, twin sister, is married to Michael Morgan. He's from up that way. He had a year left to run. Sharks are well in their right to say, no, you can't leave. Well,
2: she was homesick. His wife was homesick. If you agree, Again, if you read into everything that's in the papers.
1: Yeah. So basically, he, they've offered a ridiculously big deal. They stood firm, which I don't blame them. He's one of the better players in the competition. He finished off red hot last year. And he was one of the players along with Jason Tamalolo through his manager, who's one of the Orr brothers who now have a link into the US, who did that NFL kind of trial or camp last year. So it now seems more convenient, almost like a free crack to go because he won't re-sign with the Sharks. And their media statement was quite adamant and quite angry that it was the largest contract offer they've made in the history. But at the end of the day, if it he doesn't is. want to re-sign, he doesn't want to re-sign. Yeah, but exactly. I can understand the frustration if you've got someone for another year and they want to go, but I'm just looking at this plain and simple. I don't think he'll make it in the NFL. I don't see what position he plays. The only two that really fit his build, his speed, or his size would be wide receiver or running back. Uh, he There's doesn't
2: absolutely have, no hope yeah. he's going to play running back. He doesn't no. have the nuances. Wide he's not receiver, big enough to play
1: running back. It's a complicated position because you've got to run the routes. Well, learn first the route and foremostly,
2: tree. there's guys in the NFL who are running Olympic-level times yeah, for he the doesn't.
1: 100. He doesn't. He ran a 4-6-something. The, there is, is
2: also guys that are a foot... At least taller than him, yep. who can catch the ball, who have experience running routes, who have experience reading playbooks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. For me, it's you know, good on him. Go and go and do it. If, if you know if that's something that you want to do, go it's a and free do crack. it. But I would rate him a zero percent chance to make it in the NFL. The if own... just my belief, yeah. and I've I've watched the NFL since two thousand and two, um, so I'm not talking out my ass here. I'm not. You know, one of the people that jumped on the NFL bandwagon in Australia over the last couple of years, which is great. It's getting a lot more exposure over here, but I've watched it for 15 years and it is is extremely rare for someone of his size to make it and to make it and be of his size, he'd have to be an Olympic runner. Yeah. And, and then, is he Olympic runner?
1: No, and I'm, He's I'm not. saying what you're saying. He's caught between two positions and he hasn't grown up playing the game. And everyone's gonna say, Oh, what about Jared Hayne? I'm not taking anything away from Jared Hayne because he went there, but he was a kick returner.
2: Yeah, well, that's he that, made it as a to punter. me that's the only slot that Valentine's gonna fall into. And
1: I'm not gonna discredit that position, but let's be honest, you don't have to learn much. Yeah, but you need you just to catch the you ball. need to
2: have other strings to your bow. They've exactly. only got fifty-two that they can put on the roster. They're not they're not ever really, apart from Devin Hester, who was the greatest punt returner of all time, kick returner of all time. Hmm. They never, ever, ever just, just take standalone punt no. or kick returners. Well, and the look- game's changed. The game, the NFL is similar to Australia. It's becoming a lot more structured. There's a lot more coaching going on. And when's the last time you saw a kick return for a touchdown?
1: No, it no, used to happen every week. It Doesn't it happen. Really happens. Really happens now. And on top of that, like you said, guys that were brought in as specialists, say for now, a guy at the Patriots, Corderell Patterson. Float around for four years. That was the only thing he was good at. Now he's had to turn into a Swiss Army knife. He's taken carries. Yeah, at but running how many back. did he
2: return? He's playing at
1: wide receiver. He's doing kickoffs. He's doing punt returns. But he's had to become more valuable. Otherwise, he won't stay on a roster. Yeah. And Valentine, there's just so much to learn. And like I said, I don't I hope
2: he makes it. I do I just too. Don't but don't. I don't, chance I don't think it.
1: he can because, like you said, running backs are at least ten kilos heavier and run a four forty. A lot of them. And, and can I be honest?
2: The team that Jared Hain. Ended up playing for were junk. They were terrible. Yeah, and the coach and the
1: coach was junk as well, an idiot. Yeah, he was a good uh, money maker for the jerseys and all the rest of it, but he was a punt returner. And I'm not discrediting it. He did make it, but he was a punt returner. That's How all. He games was.
2: he played,
1: ah, oh, handful, and he fumbled a couple of times. Yeah. So I don't see this happening. But realistically, for this one, the Sharks they lose a quality player. Uh, it's ended up working out in their favour, and we'll get onto that other player that's ended up coming in on the back end of it. But straight away, my first thoughts were the door is now open for. His young son, Kyle Flanagan, to come in and play half-back and move Moilan back to fullback, which is probably not a bad fit. Josh Duke at this point in time can't stay healthy. The money they paid him would justify that you'd want to play him at fullback, but without being a ball player, I don't think you want him back there. And like I said, he can. Never wasn't last. the
2: whole re- reason he moved to Cronulla to play centre?
1: He moved because he wanted to be called a world-class player. Was that the tagline? He
2: paid well, get on the field and so play like one.
1: It, it, I thought at the time this is the opportunity for his son to come in. He's just re-signed, but. Moving on, uh, I guess, from that side of things and all the, the hoo ha about that, I, I see Valentine Holmes being back at the Cowboys, uh, not next season, obviously. Well, that, that
2: that seems the obvious, you know, after this and where this ends up, but we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. Barber's got the one year deal. He'll come back if he has to go to the Sharks if he comes back next season. Even if he does, I don't think he will. I, I will give him one thing though. It's pretty ballsy 4 forego almost eight hundred thousand dollars plus rep payments. Well, they cut for the in year, August, so. so
2: they the NFL cuts in August, so there's no no chance of him coming yeah. back next year unless he he doesn't even make yeah, a roster. That's the thing. I, make I'd a imagine roster. I I can't imagine him not being guaranteed a spot on a roster. Otherwise, I, I find it difficult to believe he's done what he's done without a guarantee that he's going to be on a on a one hundred or ninety man roster or whatever they take prior to cutting. Um, So it'll just be a matter of that being announced and Valentine goes there and rolls the dice.
1: Well, if you're 22, 23 and you made close to a million dollars last year off rep payments and an $800,000 contract, you can take a free roll of the dice, which is all I think he's doing.
2: I would think it it will be a West Coast team. So I would think it would be either of the LA teams and I'd find it very surprising, particularly if it was a Rams. Um, It'll be San Francisco or it will be the LA Raiders. Because that's where orr has got his footprint. It's in um, California. It's in in the West Coast of the U.S. Well, so that... I would I would say that the team that Valentine ends up with will be one of those four.
1: They got Myler obviously over there to Philly, but different circumstance. There's well, time he's to develop. Quality. Yeah, but there's time to he develop. He was a wanted commodity. He's a different body. Yeah, you know, he's a completely different kettle of fish, and it's it's a needed position. He's learning to play the most valued position, mm. left tackle, to protect the quarterback. So. Uh, on that side of things, yeah, I, I see this probably not working out, and I don't know if he makes it back for the Sharks next year, but Cowboys beckons the year after. The guy that they ended up getting in replacement to that, though, obviously, Sean Johnson. It's not very often that a international becomes available under these circumstances, and for the most part, on the Warriors' side of things, I can't really blame them for handling things the way they did. He's well, Everyone's going, oh, they can't tell him that, you know go to market like he's gone to market previously and he's come back. All they've basically said is we're not going to re-sign you right now. They didn't say they weren't going to re-sign him, but eight seasons, one final series since the grand final in 2010, you're on a million dollars. What have you done for me lately is basically what I'm thinking if I'm the Warriors. Mm -hmm. If you want another million-dollar deal – it's not going to happen in the off season when we've just lost round one of the finals and you've had a spotty. Well, who a year. else are
2: they going to pay a million dollars to? That's the well, question.
1: I, but the thing is, I'm not just paying a million dollars. Someone to replace
2: him. I don't understand why he'd get rid of him. Well, they didn't and get rid of him. He wanted out. No, nah, he I, I bailed think, once I they said that they
1: were happy to let him first play for a bit and just no. Nah,
2: they they put the writing on the wall. Let's not bullshit it. They they were no. saying to him, we're not going to pay you what you want. So if you can find it elsewhere, then go. I wouldn't pay a million dollars either. I think he's done that. I, I personally, I think. The Warriors have done Sean Johnson a favour because I believe that he needed to move.
1: He did for need me to move I, last time. For me,
2: watching him for, probably for the last two or three years, um, he's looked stale, and he you know he's looked not unmotivated, but he struggled with injury. Uh, I think he's a I think he's an extremely talented player. Uh, I, I would have loved to have seen him go to Melbourne. Um, that that's just you know because they've got a history of getting the best out of players, and you know I want to see him play his best footy. Uh, for me, it's strange by the Warriors. I've got no idea why you'd be pushing him out when you've got no one to replace him. Have fun with Mason Lino. You know, he, I know yeah, he's I know, there, mate. Where's he gone?
1: He went to well, Newcastle. who have they got? They've got Blake Green. And now well, Green is going to be good. They're looking, to,
2: But he's getting on a little bit.
1: They're looking to the future. So Blake Green's definitely going to be the seven. Hiku's played as a fill-in six. That's a possibility. Have fun with that. And they've got the young Chanel Tavita Harris, who's similar to Johnson. He's played all the junior rep Kiwi stuff. He's only 20 years old. Who played cup last year. Hayes Parram, a young fullback, six kind of player, and then they were scoping out Parramatta's Dylan Brown, who was the young man who well, that's been, won the SG Ball. That's comp. been
2: shunted apparently.
1: Well, he's got a deal until twenty twenty, so they're not going to let him go. He's a very talented player, so for the time being, that was basically what they're looking at—a young kid filling in. Ballsy
2: move by Stephen Kearney. Ballsy move by the Warriors, but there's probably there's probably more to this than what meets the eye. There's, there might have been something happen. Him and Kearney might not have got along. He might have just wanted to move. He Ooh. might have thought he's going to get more money. Whatever it is, I think it's good. I, I'd, I'd find it very strange if the Warriors were the ones that initiated it. Uh, if they did, then they've obviously got more confidence than I do in what they've got there in their stocks. But how would we know? We don't see I don't those think guys really play.
1: I, I don't think it's so Johnson,
2: much, I think, will go well.
1: I don't think it's so much the stocks. I think they've come, like most managers do, early, saying, all right, let's do it again. Let's do a big deal. Let's get three or four years, million bucks. And they've just kind of looked at him and thought, well, hold on a minute we want you to play a little bit of the season and we're happy to negotiate, but we're not going to be doing a, a guaranteed deal again right well, why now. why, if
2: that's the case, would they agree
1: to release him? Because he literally walked in, requested a meeting, which was said and said, I don't want to be here now, so they let him go. They wanted him to play and work things out during the year like a lot of people do. As soon as he found out he wasn't going to get what he wanted, he wanted to leave. Fair enough. So, I, I like
2: it. I think it's going to be good. I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of him going to Canola, but it, well, that is what it is. And it came like two weeks after... Gallon bagged the shit out of Valentine Holmes for, you know, not honouring a contract and, you know, all this shit. And then he's happy to have Sean Johnson waltz
1: in and yeah, well, He's already had his say on that, saying that it's a different set of circumstances. Well, oh, fuck, of but, course it is. Please. Yeah. He just needs to shut up. For the Warriors, it is an interesting situation. Like I said, Leno gone, Johnson gone. Uh, and then even on that side of things, you've got another player while we're still on the Warriors and James Garvey, who when he was on the field last year was good for them. He's now moved on to Newcastle, so... I thought the forward pack was a problem last year, and now you've let go of an elite halfback, the backup halfback, and you've got Isaac Luke coming off off season shoulder surgery. So, could be a bit of a rough start to the year for the Warriors.
2: I can't see the Warriors getting back into the eight.
1: No, I think they're one of the teams at this point in time that look like they might be falling out. So, have Can to you wait explain to, see. to
2: me how Paul Gallon thinks it's a different circumstance?
1: Oh, who knows? I, I don't well, even know. Do you. I don't want to give air to any of the comments uh, he makes because he...
2: Well, he's trying to be a talking head. He's, got he's plenty, trying to get a gig after 40, obviously. He's
1: footy, got plenty obviously. of time on radio and TV and all the Jesus rest of it. But, yeah. uh I think the only other player... Sorry, I forgot one other one there. There was talk that Nick Arima could possibly forced out of Brisbane. Where's he going to go? Why? Go to the Warriors. And uh, I think they've already hosed that down. Brian Smith is involved with Peter O'Sullivan and the CEO, Cameron George, I think his name is... They're the ones handling all this. Um, they've basically hosed that down. They did sign Adam Kieran, who was a young player got uh, into the New South Wales Cup team of the year last year. That was his first year out of under-20s. He naturally plays as a half, but again, he's more of a six. So uh, At this point in time, I think it's going to be a young bloke. They're talking about Hiku doing that job. I don't think that would last long-term anyway. Good luck with that. But next year's market's very slim as well. Like They've already been offered Mitchell Moses. They didn't want a bar of that. The only other player sort of on the market next year who's established at the moment or of a higher level is Corey Norman. And again, that's inconsistent, so... I'd really
2: rather it. Sean Johnson and all those options, and that's, that's the thing. I don't
1: understand it. I don't understand <laughs> anyway. what the plan is, but yeah, we move on from them and move on to Gareth Widock, who very surprisingly, and this one was the most confusing of all for me, comes out the other day and has to obviously hose down rumours that he's not going anywhere. But we know that where there's smoke, there's fire. There's already been links to Leeds, St. Helens, and a couple other clubs next well, he year. he is but- going, isn't he? Oh, the talk isn't behind closed doors. They've had a meeting with him now saying, you've just literally signed a four-year extension that hasn't even started yet, and you already want to leave. If you, We're happy for you to go, basically, but it's not going to be until the end of this season because we thought you were going to be here. We need a replacement. Yeah. I. And now the rumors have already surfaced about looking at Corey I thought that it was a deal he was
2: gone at the end of this year.
1: Well behind closed doors, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, basically that's the deal. And Corey but Norman... publicly
2: I thought that would acknowledge that, no? No,
1: nah, I okay. don't think it's been acknowledged it publicly, but Corey Norman is the name that's been floated again. He was offered to the Super League in the off-season by Parramatta, knocked back a deal of four years, 750, I think it was with Huddersfield. He's trying to fight for his spot. I don't think him or Moses really stays long-term at Parra, and even if he wanted to stay at Parra, I don't think he will, but... At the Dragons, it's it's all about potential and ability. We know he's got potential. We know he's got all the ability in the world. He's played with Ben Hunt before, but can he focus? Can he apply himself? Can he get the job done? If he went there with Ben Hunt, it's a pretty good replacement. But right now... They've got a better forward and pack than Parramatta. 100%. And I'd, from, I
2: wouldn't mind, from Corey Norman's perspective, I'd rather be playing behind the Dragons forward pack than Parramatta's. And that's, I think a lot of last year, we, we put it down to the front rowers.
1: Yeah. And, this and is, they haven't really solved it. This is a big thing for the Dragons as well. The Dragons are in an awkward spot because, like I said, if they have to replace him, they need another quality player. They're not in a rebuild position right now. They have an origin forward pack. They've got a decent back line. You've paid for Ben Hunt. You've got McInnes. You've got enough there. There's no time to transition. Otherwise, you're probably going to aggravate a few blokes who think that the window's kind of open for him now to be playing for football and pushing forward. So I think, again, looking at the halves market, which is always pretty slim, the best option next year when I look today probably is Corey Norman. Yeah, I think it's all yeah, about
2: providing price. that providing that uh, someone else doesn't come off contract. Like, yeah, well, that's what I mean. You look at the, everyone says, look at the market. Well, you know, look at the market this year. Did we know that um, Johnson was going to become available? Like all these players become available because contracts mean fuck well, all. We're
1: just working with what we've got. I know to that. Update, I
2: understand but... that. But what I'm saying is that there there'll be things that will happen that are unpredictable, and that's the landscape that we're currently operating.
1: Yeah. Well. Interesting and I I looked at this one and thought off shoulder surgery I don't know if he's going to be back ready to rock and roll next year but looking at it from his perspective if he wanted to go home or he's homesick could it have been spurred on now by the surgery thinking I can go over there get the same kind of money play for longer because I know we disagree at times on it but I really don't think the comp even compares to the NRL and if he went there I reckon he could play easily. You know, double the amount of time he's got left on his contract here. Well,
2: we don't not disagree. My my argument is that the Super League's very different. In the the top four teams just shit all over the rest. But th- this year just gone, apart from St Helens, no no team um, in the Super League would have gone anywhere near avoiding the wooden spoon here. The 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 asset of that competition fell out big time mm. um, within a year. So um, St Helens and they didn't even win the comp. They lost a preliminary final and. Uh, I don't even think they won the um, Challenge Cup, did they? So they they went trophyless. So, uh, but Justin Holbrook's over there doing a good job. They look like an Australian style team, well, but similar
1: to when Maguire was there. Good luck, yeah, good cetera, luck.
2: The, the the comp over there is a lot. A lot of that's got to do with a lot of the better players coming here, which is good. Strengthens our comps, weakening their comp. But I think it's better for international footy because those players are playing in a more regular. Uh, competitive tough competition and they're getting better so therefore their international side getting better
1: yeah speaking of uh, the Super League one we may as well link to while we got it there was Trent Merrin there was talk for ages that possibly going to Newcastle or going overseas here there everywhere Penriff as usual and Gus Good so he's not going everywhere we love uh, Trent of course, then yeah. they said he was staying again and then two days after confirming he was staying he was on his way to Leeds so Uh, The the flat bat was played there Ivan Cleary even played the flat bat And said he was happy that he was staying And they were happy to have him there So Mm. That turned around quickly For his point of view uh, I do think his football has gone a little bit backwards I don't know If it's You know Just a lack of variety in his game If things kind of went a bit stale there If it's off field stuff I don't know But His first year or two His first year wasn't the greatest His second year was pretty good. He, he, I think he got close to winning their player of the year, but seeing, things have certainly fallen off a cliff, and we talked about it before. For their marquee buys they've brought in, along with their juniors being James Tarmill and Trent Merrin in recent years, they have been flops in comparison to what they've been paid realistically. Yeah. So for their point of view, it was a good move to be able to offload him. I just don't know why clubs keep peddling shit, though, when clearly they're going to get rid of him. They should just own it. He's gone to Leeds now. I think he'll kill it over there. It's a good spot to be landing. David Ferner and the Fiends. He's uh, the new coach over at Leeds. He's got a few recruits from the NRL, but from Penrith's point of view, and I think I said this before we finished up, they needed the cap space to be able to re-sign players. And that's the main reason they needed to get rid of one of those contracts, if not both. And there was more than enough mail still that Tarmel was offered here, there and everywhere. But the only club he was interested in going to because his wife is from the area was Canberra, who were not interested. Hmm. So he's not going anywhere. He doesn't have to.
2: Well, Gus Gould's become the uh, George Costanza, Costanza of the N- uh, NRL. Like, he's just a compulsive liar. Anyone that's seen Seinfeld, like...
1: And he likes Seinfeld, too. Oh, man,
2: I anything that comes out of Penrith in the last 18 months has just been horseshit, really.
1: Mm. Well, Which
2: well, is, you know, I know a lot of Panthers fans have struggled with that. A lot of people, you know, in our position... Uh, have been frustrated with that because you just want a straight line yeah. like, just tell us a straight line and I agree with the move it is what just, it is because you just look silly when yeah. it comes out that you've been lying basically yeah. so I agree yeah, big name for Gus there Georgie yeah. big George Costanza
1: I agree with the move, uh, and I agree. I I do as well. Freeing but just up be the straight. money, but just own it. But on the flip side of that, I'm looking now, and there's a, a trend there at Penrith that I'm not a big fan of. And that's, but I'm not sure
2: what they're trying to protect. Like, why why are they lying?
1: I don't know. But they I, lied
2: about the Griffin thing the whole way through.
1: I have an issue with all the longer term deals that are being handed out in a game where I know contracts basically mean nothing. and You could say, well, Lewis, you're talking at your ass. It doesn't matter if you sign a five year contract like Wang or Blake. Uh, Nathan Cleary, Drom Luai getting a couple extra years on top of his deal now. Well, the Fish idea is that yo. they
2: they do that and they get them at lower salary they so They can sign him. another couple more on. But, that's that's the idea of
1: it. But some of these guys have already been pushed. And then up. what
2: happens is they when they get someone when someone that they don't like is on the back end of their deal, they they push them out. But
1: like they did with Merritt. These guys aren't at that point though. That's the, that's no, I, the get, whole that. Thing. I get that. I get that. But just
2: up. it's a cycle.
1: I get that. But they've paid up with these guys. So Cleary, they didn't get on a discount. Yo, they think, is their future Yeah, but you don't captain. know how that deal is structured either. Wonga Blake, Fisher-Harris is now an international. Basically, they're getting rid of Marion to kind of compensate for him taking yeah, that, that sort of role. But I'm looking here now going, okay, this is clearly the all-in move with a core group, which we've been waiting for, and something needs to happen soon. But two or three deals I'm fine with. When we're talking four or five for a core group of players, this is what dug a hole for Penrith originally with Matt Elliott. And I'm not saying Ivan Cleary or the club now and the situation they're in is anything compared to when Matt Elliott was there. But no, this is the mess they not. had to clean up at the start when things fell down with Jennings, and Coote, Tim Grant, all these local juniors or guys that were produced having You know the difference between of the contracts.
2: situation that Matt Elliott was created and uh, Mick Leary at the time, I think, was the CEO that Gus has now got is that Phil Gould is very good at moving players on. He's very good at getting rid of these deals, dumping these deals, making players... Um, move or finding opportunities elsewhere because of how well networked he is across um, Australasia and the UK. So, for me, I get where you're going with it, but he's just—he's proven himself just to be able to move people on. He's never really been stuck with a player that he doesn't want within his tenure at Penrith. You know, he moved on Soward. That was a deal. How long did Soward have left on his on his deal? I think he had a year or two. I think he had a year. So, and you know, it wasn't a huge deal. Yeah, I get that, but he's he's proven that he can he can move people on before the end of these contracts. So uh, for me, it's not a concern, but you're right, I think, in what you say about the fact that they're really, really pushing to win a comp within the next two cool. or three years. I, I'd be shocked but if the... if Phil Gould is there to start the 2021 season. Yeah. I would be shocked.
1: Well, we're not going to touch on the coaching situation yet just because I want to leave that to when we get to the coaching. But I dare say right now, from what's happened in the off-season and the now... Infliction and view That people would take Of the club Of Good And of Ivan Cleary After this move There's Ample pressure Now To win Regardless well, Of what we, we they Well we had think this conversation I don't think the pressure's situation.
2: on Ivan Because Ivan's got a five year deal He's now been invited back The pressure is firmly on Phil Gould well, I still
1: think it'll be on Ivan For doing what he's done to the title Regardless of how people think About the situation He still hasn't really spoke Or owned anything I think a lot of people now Will be looking Going alright Well you've bailed out Regardless of your son You were there beforehand they think you're the man to win the comp. Now, guess what? Time yeah, to do the comp.
2: It, but so. you were one of the ones in, his, in the boat saying I they was. should never have fought him. I so never should have fought him, but I didn't they... think
1: he'd backflip and go back after one year and rebuilding well, our I other agree. club. And, I agree. And he hasn't owned it at all. So I, from, his, from the persona owned, what or the you kind want of him to own? image, own. will come out and just say why you were going back. Say that you, the Tiger stuff when he just didn't own anything at the time. Say, okay, the Panthers did contact me. Same deal like we're saying. Be forward, just be up front.
2: Yeah, I just okay. thought
1: he would have been a little more upfront about what was going on. Uh, or the whole situation, and to say, oh, the attraction to come back, like, just but for give us something. For him.
2: You know what I mean? Like, well, for everybody. I'm not a Tigers I I, or I a Panthers fan, but for. As a-, a coach, I don't think it's a coach's responsibility to get out and do that. Like, Gus Gould is a talking head of Penrith. He should be the one doing it. I think it just speaks more to where they're at in terms of their relationship.
1: Well, if I'm a Tigers fan, the way things have worked out, I'm not too disappointed with, right. but I'm still pissed off. 100%. Because I had someone coming. We both work at the Tigers. And sell. We, we
2: went to a coaching um, night in, when was it? October. Oh, but if, And, and there was no... Uh, there we're, was, we're no, doing... but what I'm saying is there was no real inkling there. Like, I didn't get an inkling there that he was leaving. Otherwise, why would he be doing that? And then he, you know, two weeks later, he was gone. So All
1: credit to him for being a professional. When no, I, I, thought that I a night, get but... that,
2: but... For the Tigers, the point is they got fucking left in the lurch. Yeah.
1: massive. That's my whole point, though. At least own that for the you Tigers know, and, and the Tigers And it's fears.
2: not so much, you know, people go, oh, look, you know, what doesn't affect you guys? Well, it doesn't affect us because we're not full-time employees of the club. But there are 10 or 15 people there who, you know, were employed via Ivan yeah, who they're, they're theoretically who could have just been moved on and not had work because yeah. of how late that was done. Like. Probably the saving grace for them was the fact the that timing. Ivan did
1: it that late. Yeah, because now and that
2: Maguire didn't have enough time to sort of go, okay, I like him, I don't like him, I want this person, I want that person. So, so everyone was going get to their jobs for it. a
1: year. Yeah,
2: you know, but everyone there was sort of thinking that Ivan was going to be there long term, and they were pinning everything on building, you know, similar to what he did here. So from that perspective, there's a very human aspect to this that gets missed.
1: Mm. Well, on that side of things, uh, yeah, I just think. Getting off the Penrith kind of bit in piece and that there, there's pressure there regardless of what people think, and I think it's just all going to come off the back of that move, regardless of whether he likes it or not. Probably he's a good human being, I have no doubt about that. But of all the actions of what's happened in the off season, people are going to be pointing the finger at Penrith. Well, it's Win like a comp
2: it or now or bust. This is Baseball. your last That's first time, first grade job because people. I don't think a lot of people are going to forgive. Or no, they I think won't. people forget that they, you know, if he becomes available again on the open market, there'll be a lot of clubs. I guess anxious about signing him.
1: Yeah, we'll have to see how things play out there. But moving on, a couple more players, two that ended up at the North Queensland Cowboys, Nana McDonald, and I think this is an underrated one that happened earlier. They said it was mutual, that he wanted to go back up to North Queensland and go to the Cowboys. But I think for them they've done a sneaky little bit of a an off-season rebuild that's kind of surprising. And I know last year we got on the bandwagon, but realistically this year they looked flat, they looked old, they were lacking size up front. McLean got hurt early. Scott was injured, and he's had a neck a surgery in this offseason. But you get McLean back. With, everyone's forgotten about Michael Morgan, who finished the year prior as basically the best half or best player in the competition. He's coming back. Ben Barber's replacing Lachlan Cood, who admirably stayed healthy for a few years and did a good job. But he was done last year. He wasn't the same player either. And then their outside backs in their yardage game was lacking severely, bar probably Kyle Felt. Now you get Nana McDonald, who's a really, really good set starter and finisher. So you've got the potential now to have him... And Kyle felt maybe push into the centres because they're lacking there, and that's a position he can play. You can have on the other side of the field young Tuwala or O'Neill gets one last roll of the dice. Gideon Geller Mosby, Benny Barber, the halves partner will it be Clifford? Will it be Tamari Martin with Morgan? I know people weren't happy with Martin last year, but you've got to remember he was part of that grand final run, so he yeah. can't be a terrible footballer. And then you've got Yeah, McClain. but also I think,
2: yeah, f- from that perspective, it's going to be a huge relief to everyone who plays in the halves outside of Jonathan Thurston that the shadow of Jonathan Thurston is
1: now gone. Yeah, and you now also on top of that adding Because Martin's
2: second. never, ever felt comfortable as a full-time half, whereas now he can sort of go,
1: well, I'm going to pitch my 10 here and this is my spot to lose. Well, between him and Clifford, yeah. Clifford got the back-end run last yeah, year. Yeah,
2: well, and, you know, Morgan is obviously one, but you, they all knew all these other bits, player halves, knew that if Morgan and Thurston were fit, they're the halves. Yeah, easy. So now there's an opportunity there, definitely.
1: That's not the only one they got, though. And for the Dragons, I think that's a very underrated loss. Uh, Nightingale (laughs) obviously retired. He was getting to that point. Pereira come and did a good job. And I think they've got Lomax who can plug in. But
2: And he's no uh, he's no semi Raja but he provides something similar no, in terms of his yardage
1: work. are yeah. outstanding. There's not enough good. And his finishing so for the size it. of the man is exceptional. Yeah. But the other big one was Josh Maguire. And this one I don't have a problem with because it was mutual. And this is a situation where Brisbane have got a lot of kids, as we talked about before, that have jumped out of the ground early. They've got some decisions to make. They don't go to him and say, you have to leave because right. they can't. He's an origin and uh, Australian representative. But... You've got the Cowboys right there who have got more money and a longer-term deal on offer. It all just kind of works out. But I think it's a sneaky good move on their side of things considering they just aged rapidly last year. And to pick up Ben Barber, Michael Morgan's almost going to be like a brand-new re-signing. You've got two good pieces there into your spine. You had Nene McDonald in an area where you're really lacking in set starts and just a bit of vigour in your back line with Geller Mosby. Kyle Felt, who had a really good year last year. And then your forward pack, McLean comes back, and now you add McGuire. He's probably going to have to play prop with Tama Lolo, and then you've got Hess and put Scott on the bench and just roll him in and give him limited minutes as he's getting older with his neck, and just so you just thump for, you know, 10 15 minute stints. I think they're a sneaky winner in this offseason as far as the way moves have worked out. Yeah,
2: it gives them a different look. They look different, and I think they needed a They need to get Uh, younger. Move away, yeah, from some of those older players. Um, Matt Scott
1: hasn't retired, has he? No. That's got to be close. He's going to be now basically relegated, I think, to a bench role, and I don't think it's a bad idea because when he comes on and just goes hard for 10, 15 minutes in that rotation, uh, I think he'll be the third wheel in what is that front row rotation most likely of Maguire, McLean, and then obviously Tamalolo, who sometimes comes off for a short stint there. But... That suits him perfectly where he is at the moment. I think he can give a good 10, 15 minutes, but you don't need him out there playing big minutes. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. The real question for me this year is, can Cohen mm-hmm. has step up? Because last year he was really, really flat. You've got to understand he also was only in his second season and he's 20 years old. But he needs to step up in the back row. Gavin Cooper, uh, he was solid last year, but I think that's the only other spot where I'm looking at going after this year. Sure, they've got to find another back row. Mm. But other than that, I think they kind of rejuvenated in a few little spots. Depth might be an issue. But their starting seventeen is looking better than what I was expecting it to, just given a couple of moves in the off season. So I think they're a winner there. Brisbane uh, necessary move, I guess, when you get in a situation where you've got Lodge you needs to get paid, Oats, Tavita Panguil Jr., Fafita, Haas, Jaden Suar. They've made the decision clearly here that they're going to go with a lot of these kids because they've got uh, you know a lot more years left and probably upside that they're hoping. So I can't blame them from that side of things, given the money situation. I really like Josh Maguire, but clearly they feel they've got enough talent there to usurp a 29-year-old, 30-year-old kind of lock front rower who is a great player, no doubt, but there's nothing really exceptional about Josh Maguire. He's a workhorse, he defends well, he's got a good carry, but he's just a solid footballer around. So clearly they're happier with the kids they've got to invest that money. Yeah, Cowboys are your real winner in that situation. Speaking of another forward situation, we've had the David Klemmer, Dylan Napa switch. Now, the mail at the Roosters, and this was no real surprise because they have been mailed for two years that basically Trent Robinson had said, you're not playing up to your potential. Things need to get better, etc." And Dylan Napa took that to heart, which we all know in rugby league, if you're a professional rugby league player, you have to take criticism on board and you have to own it. So he's apparently been unhappy for almost over 18 months, but they've won the grand final. His minutes kind of tapered off. And it reminds me of when he got there first in 2013. I don't know if you remember... Frank Paul Nusala, similar situation. He was a Kiwi international at the time, but he sort of phased his minutes out during the year and then they sneakily offload him to Canberra in the offseason. Hmm. This is a similar deal. Contract year, managers go into to the club. They've said, we're not even going to offer you a deal. So you've got this year to run, but if you want to leave now, feel free. So for the Rooster side of things, you know, that's what you do. You talk to managers. You They're not trying to get rid of him immediately, but they just let him know that they're not going to be offering him a contract moving forward. He's on a decent wicket. And then you've got the bulldog situation where the Bulldogs, David Clemmer, last year was all about the club and said he wouldn't move anywhere. Then suddenly he was on the opposite side of the foot saying he might move somewhere. And then it came out about personal issues and there was an issue with his family, this, that and the other. But then you hear mail on the flip side that he just signed a shit deal with his previous manager and thought he was on a low wicket. So you don't know what to believe. I I can't delve into things anymore. I'm not going to judge the bloke, but... It just seems an awful convenience so often now that players are either homesick or they have issues, and it leads to a ridiculous pay packet. And the pay packet he's going on to makes him the highest paid front row in the competition, which to me, I thought the Aaron Woods deal last year was crazy, him getting around $900,000, but the money at Newcastle is around that mark for David Clemmer, which good on him if he can get it.
2: Wait, how much? 900
1: 900 a year. That's the highest paid. Yeah, row. I, I don't think he's worth nine hundred. I don't either. think he's worth nine hundred. I think really.
2: he's in the top handful of props, no doubt. Yeah, but there's
1: a few that I prefer. Nine hundred k to me is game breaking. More to money. me
2: because he's, I mean, the percentage of minutes of a game that they play. Secondly, uh, I, I think he's very aggressive and he adds a lot to your team. Like he's going to give you that physical and that, you know, he's, he gives you that crazy guy. I guess someone that they're going to look at, similar to a Narpa or a Hargreaves. I don't but think he's that. For player, me, he doesn't really have he. He doesn't have the skill. He doesn't have the footwork. You know, he's got cut. an offload, I yeah, but he, guess, but you know, there's a lot of other players there that I prefer ahead of David Klemmer. Um But you know, I agree he's in the top handful. I agree with that, um, but
1: I still, I but said
2: the money year. for me, that's too much money.
1: Nine hundred thousand. You need to be a game breaker. That's half fullback hooker money, like gun game breaker money. David Klemmer's not a game breaker. He's better than the. Typical front row lock as they use him because he plays bigger minutes, but he doesn't really have, like you said, a tip on. He doesn't have great footwork. He doesn't break tackles. He doesn't make line breaks. And my biggest issue, and I've whinged about it for the last couple of years and even in reps, he takes a good carry. He gets over the ad line. He gets a good bump into the line, but he refuses to give up on the tackle. So what I mean by that is he draws numbers in. They end up rolling him over. He ends up on his back, and he gets a slow play of the ball. He needs to learn how to give up on a play once he's made a positive dent and get down. He tried to get a tip into his game last year. I saw that, and that's all well and good. But I still think he's a little bit too one-paced. So if I'm paying nine hundred thousand dollars to it, that's Tarmulolo money. That's not just front row. That's lock. That's game changer. That's Sam Burgess money. I don't think he's that kind of front row. I think he's a great front row, but there's a handful of other guys I'd have before him. And again, nine hundred thousand—that's that, breaking the market much like Woods did last year. I don't think it's going to end up in a Woods situation because Newcastle have money to burn. But that's uh, that's a hefty investment. And you know they've, they've they could be one of the real winners, and I hope it does work out for them. But getting him, James Gavay, and Tim Glasby is a big upgrade compared to last year having Heintz and Lilliman on the back end, and they compare them up with the Safidi twins, one who obviously got injured the other day in a unfortunate altercation. But Daniel last year by the back end of the year was really showing some growth. So they've got now a decent front row rotation, but with that comes pressure. Yeah, because you've got Pierce, you've got Ponga. They've got Jesse Raymond, who was a cracker sign in the offseason. Lachlan Fitzgibbon emerged. I think they are now in a spot where they have to make the eight next year, given the moves they've made. The only question mark is hooker. Yeah, Danny Levi is there on his own. Slade Griffin's going to be out for the year. Zach Wolford's come there from the New South Wales Cup of the Dogs. I don't really see him becoming a you know full-time 80-minute hooker. And there's talk now that James Segar has been sounded out there. But that is the one spot I look at and think that that's the one thing they've got to solve and I was kind of disappointed they let Brock Lamb go. I thought they should have kept him with Mitchell Pearce, put Watson to nine and probably Pong at a one. Now they're talking Watson to one, Pong at a six. I don't know why Pong is so keen to get in the front line. I get people saying, oh, you defended there in origin, but defending on an edge and defending in the middle are two different things. In the middle, you can get help. You know what's coming out? Yeah, Yeah, there's big bodies there, but on an edge, you can be isolated. And good teams, you're going to run a back row at you and try and pull shape apart and get at you 30 time, plus times a game. At this point in his career, I think he should stay at one. Uh, I do like Watson as one, and I said that when he was at the Roosters. I Why thought are that they looked even like the best spot. He
2: but... almost won the Dalian Medal at one.
1: Uh I, I think they're just trying to keep him happy. If that's what he wants to do, that's what they're oh, going to do. Close. But then you've got now him saying that he's not even going to, he won't recommit just yet. They're saying beyond twenty nineteen. They're trying to get him signed up long term and talk about rugby, this that and the other. But I'm looking at it just going, I think it's insane to even think about moving him. Well, yeah. I agree. I, I, I totally agree. One, so, totally um, agree. Yeah. I think big win for them. On the dog side of things, the deal for Napa. You get Napa. Do I like Napa? I do, but I haven't really seen much in the last 18 months. I haven't seen consistency. You know, he's got the potential to get suspended. I want to see the bloke from the game when they played South Sydney two years ago that was a crazy maniac. Yeah,
2: but he there's been maybe once or twice he's delivered that. That's it. Um, and the few times he's tried to, he's broken people's jaws and taken and people's heads off. Spoken
1: so. to somebody closer to the club, and they were pretty happy with the deal, saying that they felt... They got a win, but for the money, talking around six hundred thousand, I feel that's more appropriate for a good front rower in the market. I don't know if I'm happy to pay him three or six hundred thousand. Six
2: six hundred thousand for NARPA. Yeah. That's a good that's a good deal.
1: I don't know if he's gonna start on the field. That's my issue. So no. we'll see how it pans out. But if on the dogs here, if I don't know the money, but they reckon that Clamour wasn't on such a big deal. But if you've paid more than or around that amount for Napa. I don't know, it, it kinda of depends what I end up getting on the field. So i am press the wait and see on that. Newcastle, I pressed the wait and see also on that deal for Clemmer. I think it's crazy money. I definitely would have wanted to get him to my club. They needed a front rail, but I don't know if I was willing to pay up to nine hundred thousand for David Clemmer. But mm. uh, that's another move in the off season. And that's about it. The only thing here is just a couple of notable re-signings. The Tigers, they were under threat from the Roosters, apparently with Luke Brooks to come in and replace Mm. Uh, you know Cooper Cronk at the end of the season which is crazy to think they would have tried to play the Tedesco card they've got the third parties they've got all the potential to get in there but he stayed on board with the Tigers so he's obviously loyal to that situation he'll be there long term Cameron Munster finally locked in at Melbourne he's got a four year contract uh, at your club Kelly is another one who moved from Manly mutual agreement because under cap pressure we've talked last year that you needed centers I don't think that's a bad move Albert Kelly's better than what you had would you agree with that?
2: yeah yeah,
1: I think he still needs to work on his defence. He's got tendency to get caught on his inside shoulder, but with the ball, I think he's much better than the centres you've been working with. thought Branco finished the year okay, but there's still holes in his game as well. But compared to Conrad Harrell, I'm sure you're not disappointed that he's headed off to Leeds and they offloaded that contract.
2: Yeah. Well, it's good for Leeds. Leeds have been struggling. I get that, so.
1: but you guys got him from there. On his current deal, which was close to five 600 grand, surely you're happy that Conrad Hurrell's no longer at your club <laughs> yeah. for that kind of money.
2: Every, yeah, everyone knows that. Yeah. But, you know, we've still got other other players there that are worse than Hurrell. You know, your Copley's of the world, et cetera. So.
1: Well, he's re-signed as well, so you got yeah. a couple to stay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so a couple of big plays as far as marquee halves are gone on that market that we're talking about. So Brooks is off the market, Munster's off the market, good for their clubs. Damien Cook. Any rumors of players moving from Brisbane to South or South to Brisbane have been quashed in the last couple of days because all the players that were mentioned have all signed anyway. And Damien Cook in particular, six or seven years toiling away just trying to get an opportunity with 12 months, New South Wales, Australian hooker, and now $4.5 million deal over five years. That's someone I'm willing to pay nine hundred grand for. That's a game breaker. Yeah. So that's more what I'm getting at. Like That's halves, fullback, hooker, game-breaking kind of money compared to what we're talking about with Clem on that market. So if I'm Sears, I'm pretty chuffed right now that he's staying. That's a really good pick Absolutely, yeah. Um, And I think on that Brooks move, just before we move on, I'm only looking at that for them this year in Maguire, and I'm interested to see how they go, because there's realistically been no changes except players pushed out, really. Yeah. Um, They've brought in Madison and Momorowski from the Roosters, who will be solid additions to their squad, but the team is literally basically going to be the same team with a new coach who's heavy on defense, which they finished top four last year under Ivan and fixed. The real question is who's going to partner him, the halves, and can they fix their attack? That's the real big yeah. question, I guess we have there. But moving on to coaches, Boxhead and that man we just spoke of, Mark McGuire. I think in the end, when we talked about who was available in the market and if they're going to go for a rookie coach or if they're going to go for someone more established, I think they've ended up with the right person for their club and the kind of direction they want to go and what they're working with, as far as you know. Their level of funding, their facilities, etc., that kind of stuff. Michael Maguire is going to leave no stone unturned. He's a high-energy, intense kind of bloke. Big on that defense, which obviously they finally fixed up after four or five years, have been awful the last couple of years. The real question for me is, and I'll ask you: can he change in attack? Because realistically, at the end of his time at South, he was a little bit too intense. He refused to change. The game started to expand. They played way too one out. They refused to offload the football. It was basically the halves past nobody else. Do you think he can come here to the Tigers? And do you think, obviously, after being moved on and now working with the New Zealand side, which seemed to be pretty positive, that he can adapt and change his game in the tank?
2: Yeah, difficult. Um, well, we've seen uh, Michael Maguire, haven't we, in, at work. Um, he was down at a, our junior rep session last week. and He loves uh, defence. Loves defence, but he's going to bring a hard edge to him, I think. Clearly... Uh, you know was very much of the you know let the assistant coaches coach uh, which is a good model i think mcguire sort of adopt uh, a similar approach but he's just going to give him i think probably a harder harder edge um you know whether that's gonna going work with the group that he's got there like you know ivan sort of molded a group around the style that he wanted to play uh, and maguire is probably looking for a slightly different style of player to make up the core group of his squad but uh, look, I think it's a good signing. The guy's won a comp. He's won uh, well. He's won a competition here. He's won a competition in the UK. He's proved that he has the formula and knows how to build um, winning teams. So for me, it was a it was a good move. But it was just the the stack of cards that fell around that, wasn't
1: it? Yeah. Well, I think again defensively, I think they'll be as good, if not better. the Tigers. That won't change for me. My question is attack that. When he left South, he needed to adapt, and he did. Well, it's do not
2: that. at the moment. Like you can't. You, he doesn't have enough time to change their attack. Like he came back and they'd already started pre-season training because he was over there with New Zealand. So I think the majority of what they are doing at the moment would have been the program that Ivan had um, planned. Just because it's it, from a time timing perspective, wholesale changes just logistically aren't possible that late um, in the planning process. So I think the the core fundamentals that you know Ivan was teaching them that they run with, particularly with this squad. Uh, For the last 18 months, I think you'll find that that'll be the basis of what they do. I think you'll find that Michael McGuire will add his little tweaks in terms of their attack. I think he would have learned a lot um, from his time away from the game.
1: I think Um, the time with New Zealand would be really beneficial. Be
2: beneficial, different style of play, different style of player I think that
1: might open him up a little bit more to what he needs Um, to do with where he's going. Working
2: with some different people, you know, I think he worked with Stacey Jones with the New Zealand squad, who, you know, he was one of the best attacking minds. Through that, I guess, golden years of of quality halves in the you know mid to late nineties and early two thousands. So,
1: and that's um, that's probably yeah. my other question for you there. The <coughs> squad, as I mentioned, doesn't change dramatically. Madison will definitely be a part of that squad. He's a quality player from the Roosters, but the halves. Last year they bought Reynolds. That's obviously not his signing, but. If he's back healthy, Benji well, Marshall's is a, on is a for Maguire
2: one. Well, style player.
1: Yeah, well, Marshall's on for one more year, but you have Reynolds there who they've paid big money to and they're still committed to for this season another two on top. I think Mbaye is definitely locked in as your fullback. He's there long-term. Farrah, to me, is still going to play over little this year unless he fixes his defense and his shoulders hold up all good. Brooks is obviously a seven, but my real question is who's the six? Do you is think Benji any, or Josh Reynolds will get that Is right?
2: there any reason why he couldn't play Josh Reynolds at nine?
1: Well... It or playing as a 14. if He wants Farrar in or out, but you've got to remember Maguire's the one who brought Farah to South and he didn't get rid of him. Obviously, it was gone before that happened. Yeah. So he might be happy I to don't keep know. rolling. With I, I
2: really don't know. Like, Farah, obviously isn't the elite player that he once was. Um, but is he a passable first grade hooker? I think he is. Definitely. So from that perspective, it'll just be what Maguire wants, you know. Does Maguire want craft out of nine? Does he want someone that's going to bring his forwards onto the footy? Or does he want someone who's gonna run, who's gonna niggle, who's gonna be aggressive?
1: I think number one, the better defender, I, I go again, no offense to Jacob Little, but at this point in time I think Robbie Farrow is a better defender. He's than a kid.
2: Him. Now um, I'm I'm talking between Reynolds and um Farrow. To me, I I don't I think Little do
1: you, do you think Reynolds could defend in the middle though for a whole game? Yeah, Given well his it's history, just injured. Yeah, yeah, like, like, so. He can barely last playing on an edge as a half, so I don't know if he'll hold it up in the middle.
2: I just think he's played his best football in first grade at nine. That's my perspective on uh, Josh Reynolds. So, but look, it it all points to Robbie Farrell. Uh, I think the the question moving forward is who's going to replace Farrell at the end of this year. Like, I think there's no doubt this is Benji's last year, and no doubt that it's Farrell's last year. So for me, a, a, an achievement would be for them to make the eight. Um, how they go about doing that, the cornerstone is going to be defense. Uh, Michael McGuire is going to make him rockstone fit. You know, they're going to be they're going to be bloody fit. So. As you said, the, the question is, how do they manufacture enough points to win 12 games?
1: Well, realistically at the moment, no offence to Benji. They figured him out as the year went on, and then even Josh Reynolds, if he's healthy. Those two players don't really scare me with the ball. Well, the thing is,
2: neither of those players are going to engage the line. No. Neither of those players are run-first players. So for me, that's why I would get Reynolds in, because I know that Reynolds, you're going to start your play with a run-first player, and buy is a run-first player.
1: So you can't have, you know, Luke
2: Brooks. I think is is really learning how to balance his game between run and pass as well, and his strength in his running game is actually opening up his pass opportunities. His run was the best
1: part of his game, and it seemed like it went missing during all of the debacle and the infighting and issues over the last couple of years. But last year, I think Ivan just stripped everything back and said, "This is your team," and look how it panned out. I, I thought when we talked about halfback or the best halfback consistently over the year last year, I was happy for him to be that player. I really thought he was. But he is so good at engaging the line. And I'll tell you the one thing, it's very underrated about Luke Brooks. His defense was the one thing that really impressed me last year and improved out of sight. But his running game is exceptional. And he is quicker than what you think. How many times he gets open space and you think he might get run down, he is lightning. Yeah. But he last year never went to the line without an inside-outside trail. My real issue is that other partner, to me, is not going to attract enough attention where I think they can put an extra man over to his side of the field this year. Mm. And it proved it back into last year. He wasn't as effective in the back end of the year because I thought they weren't really worried about who the second ball handler was, everything kind of fell to Luke Brooks to create or come up with something so I think partly to what you're saying, between Benji <laughs> or Reynolds, I think Reynolds more likely to be the one to get the crack at six Well, but... I think they're
2: going to be more dangerous if they've got three uh, mixed players and you know, for me, if they've got Farrah and Marshall in their spine to me, there's not a lot of running going on there so it, it doesn't, it Tends to me to believe that their attack will be sideways, and I don't think the game is conducive at the moment to be able to create enough points by playing sideways. Nah. It's a it's a momentum,
1: um, ruck a speed as well.
2: type league at the moment. So it's gone away from you know the years where it was a manufactured, it was a set play, it was a set start style game. You know, like you look at just what the Roosters did to Melbourne in the grand final. I like keep the ball in play and take away from those set plays. <laughs> It blunts their attack. So for me, I don't think I don't think the Tigers can make the eight with Farrah and Marshall in the spine. I think they need to find something out of Hooker. And for me that would be Reynolds. Whether you're going to play Farrah and have Reynolds you have them share 50-50 time, I think that might work. You know, whether you play Brooks and Reynolds and you don't have Marshall and you have Farrah at nine, and you know, you just let Farrah do his thing. Either he's going to manipulate out of nine or he's going to pass first and allow the halves to to be direct. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Maguire runs it. But as we know, Maguire loves structure. He loves set play. And that's um, kind so- of what
1: I wonder how they're going to go with their attack because last year they seem to have taken the shackles off a little bit, but... Mm. They were very hit. Well that's and miss.
2: Ivan's that's Ivan's way. Yeah. Like, he, that's the way he likes
1: to play. That's the way he likes to coach. I more thought that it was the troops that affected him last year. I didn't really think they had the cattle, which is why I had them winning the bloody spoon. Mm. I thought they massively overachieved. I don't think Maguire's as good a coach defensively, but I still have huge questions on their attack and in all honesty. But that's the challenge.
2: Well, that's that's coaching. You when, can't you can't just say that I'm gonna have this style of attack and stiff shit. Like yeah, any player's I mean, gonna yeah. have to adapt to it. So the challenge for Maguire Um, and um, Sandercock, who's the attacking coach there, and Andrew Webster, who's doing the D, but I'm sure they're in there trying to formulate plans on how to create points. That's their challenge.
1: I don't see them making the eight next year. I think, again, they'll be somewhere on the fringe and they'll win games early off the back of their defence. I certainly
2: don't think they'll win the Spoon.
1: uh, No, I don't think they'll win the Spoon either. But coming to this year, looking at their personnel again, like I said, it hasn't really changed for me. Like, Madison and Momorowski are good for your squad. Madison's somewhere in your 17. But, uh, and he brought Zane Musgrove, who was a player who liked from South, who's so a bigger body. But I still don't see enough there that's changed. Or I, don't, I don't think he's going to ha- be able to have enough of an effect on the squad to get them into the eight.
2: Yeah,
1: I think last year they got as close as they are possibly going to get and they've just missed out. I think this year for him will be a pick-and-choose year as the new coach, much like Ivan Cleary did his first 12 months, to figure out who he likes, who he doesn't like, who he doesn't want to keep around, who he doesn't want to keep around. I think the one thing I can say that Ivan has done for him is do a lot of the clean-out work, and they offloaded another 10 players this offseason. So realistically, he's got a bit of a clean slate to kind of work with. The only real downside, I guess, Brooksie obviously wanted, and rightfully so. The only player that's really locked in long-term that he may have... Oh, its You know—you don't know what his opinion on is Moses and bai. They yeah. picked Moses and bai and they extended him. Looking at the back end of the year, it looks to be a good move, in my opinion. The Josh yeah. Reynolds contract he's kind of stuck with, but again... Um, you know, I, I think it's more a wait and see kind of year for him Put his stamp on the team Assess the quantity kind of well, It's his...
2: also going to be yeah, Work out who he wants Who he doesn't want In terms of staff
1: and players There will definitely be changes there But I yeah, don't think they're going to be a finals team but Moving on from the Tigers And their coaching change And like we said we both agree It's a positive one for the club And possibly a, a year of just finding things out Well it's on, best case scenario isn't it really yeah. Yeah. yeah On to Manly Which has been an absolute huh. basket case And they've brought back Dez Well, this is going to be interesting, but the whole way this has been handled, like I know people are getting upset, Manly fans, and everyone's carrying on going, Barrett's got a job and he shouldn't be able to quit, but the fact of the matter is he had a contract. There were circumstances and stipulations that needed to be met in the contract that weren't uh, in the football department and in many other areas, so he exercised the clause he had in there. People blowing up saying, oh, he doesn't deserve to be paid, etc. It says 12 months notice, so basically what he's saying is I can stay here for 12 months or I can go. That's part of the contract. So realistically... Who's ca- I think I don't think anyone's entitled to a free payout, but they, they didn't meet their circumstances on their end when they it. employed him. So, I get it, but... But then to handle I think,
2: it- I think the longer this goes on, the worse it looks for Trent Barrett.
1: Oh, it does look bad, but it looks bad for Manly, I think, the way they've handled
0: it too. Well, I don't
2: think now it does. Like, I, I agree that they look worse while ever it was going through the media and it was even dragged along, but now they've appointed Des. They've told Barrett that... He's know, off to the side. You're, you're off to the side. You get paid till the end of your yeah it's until um, mid year yeah your uh, your end of your notice um is finalized you know it means that he can't then move on and coach anywhere else uh oh. which is poor because it's it's basically you're out for him now
1: yeah whereas He'll if you know wait. if
2: he if he would have just taken his uh, you know, his severance and said, look, I want to leave. But he wasn't and getting the
1: severance, that was the thing. No, but, but what I'm
2: saying, yeah, whatever severance they come to, you know, whether it was, they would have offered him something. They said, duck it. They I think said, they if would've... you want to quit, you Listen, they would have offered him something. It wouldn't have been full whack, but Barrett wanted to dig his heels in. He wanted full whack, and this is the consequences of those, you know, wanting the full whack. I To me, it only became an issue once Manly started to lose. Like, it wasn't an issue the year before when they made the finals. I Did it know. like I, I just, I, for me? Like, I why wasn't it an
1: issue the year before? Full stop. The place is a basket case. And I agree. Yeah. I, I look at the even the hiring of Des, and it's all well and good to get someone back. They've had success before, but I've gone on a record personally before saying the team they had at that time was exceptional. Yeah, get that. And I, I don't think I agree with that. It's anywhere I think, near I the same team.
2: It, I would have got to, uh, Tuvi back, and all to right, me, rather, oh. Tuvi copped it a pretty raw deal they're one of those clubs similar to the Bulldogs that they need they a manly person, person.
1: they've yeah, all, like, the all the ways to look at it. the funny thing is Des left them in the dark he's the one who pissed off left yeah, them with yeah. back ended deals and went to the Bulldogs yeah. and
2: well, there's been, there's been a kiss and make up there.
1: But like you said about Tuves, that clearly I don't think Tuves can coach because otherwise I thought they would have got him back because yeah. he got sacked under pretty rough circumstances. Wouldn't you think?
2: Oh, I think Tuvey will be back in some regard. I wouldn't be surprised if Tuvey's back there as an assistant
1: coach. Well, this was point. my question right here. They've come back in not only with Des, but they've brought back Noel Clear, Donnie Sin just back on as the strength and conditioner. They've got ex players coming back. He's got Matt Ballon, Brett Stewart's coming back. So They're they've, getting the band they've back. They've gone back to the glory days, but at the same time, I think this is fraught with danger because regardless of the big question, again, is similar to Michael Maguire. He didn't want to change at the back end of his stint at the Rabbitohs, which ultimately is what cost him his job, because he didn't want to adapt. Des Hasler stuck solid with the exact same game plan and all facets and all these maths and crazy science, and he's got his statistics, which tells him that Aiden Tolman's the front, best front row on the comp, etc., from 2012 up until the end of mm-hmm. his dog stint, has yeah, I he could, changed? I can
2: manipulate any stat to say that any player, well, not any player, but that? most players. You know, at the top end of a statistical category, you could you could mold statistics to say whatever you want. Like but that's it, why they're fraught with danger. But what I'm getting at, though, he's clearly not the best front row. Like and Des would say that you know they complete over 70 percent, and you he win said the over game. 80,
1: rah right, right, we're going to win every game, which is it's-
2: obvious as well. Like that, that's more a. Um, I guess an indication on where the game's got to, but not again, not the fact that we've we brought this there's up before, some man. sort of magic formula in holding the ball because we all know that, you know, Stephen Kearney had the best completion at the comp and they finished last. Ninety percent of something. That, you know, again that, that's where that statistics are fraught with danger. You you need to understand how to uh, I guess analyse stats and make them work in your favour and try and analyse them as much as you can in order to improve your performance. Or- but
1: Realistically, is he going to change at all? He had the block-block shape. I don't know. All out. His I don't sports, know. one out. He's controllable. The football, the spine wasn't involved. We're talking here the complete opposite. Like, And the other thing is, he walks into a side that really. He's had 12
2: months off, but. So.
1: Yeah, well, he has to adapt, though. He has to change. That's what I'm that's saying. What I'm, the question going to be: Has really he adapt?
2: Has he? That's, what, that's it. That's the
1: million-dollar question. He refused thing. to before. I don't know if he will now. He's got. A different side to what he had at the Bulldogs. The Marty Tapau situation apparently has been resolved, and he's happy to stay on board. Uh, despite you know, most of the talk was that there was third parties that weren't delivered, and there was other issues. And obviously last year I was shopping him without him knowing about it, which if I was a player, I'd be pissed off as well. Because like I said, people knife the players, but at the same time, it's convenient for the clubs when they need a bit of relief as well to try and offload players. So yeah. um, the only addition really was Kane LG, and that was before his time there. So from Kane Elgi, I'm a little bit worried immediately about how I'm going to be considered and every other change in their top squad is upgrades from those 20s kids that made the grand final a couple of years ago and realistically that's all they can do because they're under cap sanctions this year so they've had to upgrade a couple just to fill it in so Luke Metcalf and Cade Caster a couple of young halves Jade Anderson's a fullback winger R2 is a big centre Albert Hopawade, another one from Hoppawade McLean, he was awesome through the junior football. I think he's only 17. Yeah. He's been bumped all the way from SG ball up to the top squad. And The only other two kind of first-grade players were Brendan Elliott, who's been a traveller now from the Titans, the Roosters. He was at Your Mob last year. And a Blake Weebo flight from Penrith, Corey Waddell, who's obviously looking for an opportunity. But again, brought, brought by Barrett to the club before Dez has got there. So yeah. uh, I look at this with interest and – realistically the same squad, and I don't know if he can do much more with the squad than what Trent Barrett did, and I think he's a very, very different thinker and coach to what we were probably seeing last year, so I'm not too sure this is going to work out. Do Mm -hmm. I think they have more talented individuals, say, compared to a Tigers, just on an individual basis with Cherry Evans, Tapout, and Vanilla Blake? Yes, I do, Mm -hmm. but I, I still don't know if this is... This is not a finals team to me. No, I'd agree. I think, again salary cap pressure, decisions to be made this year, what he's going to do moving forward. And then you hear the craziness, which again, it probably just paper talk, but the first thing they did the day he got there was link Kieran Foran to go back to Manly again. And I, I'm like, that's nuts. But re- then again, he did sign into a million-dollar deal before he left there, so anything's possible. Mm. But I, I look at this situation and I just kind of hope that he's made changes because if he's not willing to change at all, I think they're in big trouble again. Yeah, and I'd agree. So right. i agree. That's, yeah. uh, that's one to look at I'll tell you bit. what,
2: it's yeah. going to be very, very interesting to see how this pans out at
1: Manly. Yeah. All righty. What have I got here? Bennett and the Broncos and the Seabold situation we will touch on, but before I get onto that one, I just want to quickly touch on one before I've been clearer as well, and that's these rumors around Shane Flanagan apparently being on shaky ground at the Sharks, which I look at it and I think this bloke has come here and they had no funding and things were off the rails and you've got no juniors and he's done fundraisers and built into the gym and found some sponsors and done all this work. They've now got one of the best junior pipelines and they're developing players. They won the 20s the year before. They broke all the records and were minor premiers. They made the cup grand final with a bunch of young guns this year. Things are ticking on really, really good. And most importantly, he delivered their first premiership. But is this new salary cap issue and the Asada stuff in the past and this new board, is that enough to unseat somebody? And I, I look at it and just think, well, Christ almighty. As a Melbourne person or any fan, I'm sure plenty of blokes like myself don't enjoy when he speaks in press What's conferences. What's brought this on? Because they He frustrates me form. at times, but I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm looking going, bloody hell, if Shane Flanagan came off contract tomorrow and I'm a club, especially someone uh, a la the Parramatta Eels who are looking to rebuild their junior pathway, I'm sorry, Brad Arthur, but I'd be hiring Shane Flanagan. Hmm. Um, and I, I just kind of wonder. I know the, the board's sort of changed. I don't know about their outlook, but regardless of some of the, the things that you can think are questionable, did he know about the salary cap stuff, the Asada stuff, all the stuffs in the past, the fact of the matter is six or seven seasons or whatever now, he's been very, very successful. He's delivered a premiership. They've got a good side and they've developed a junior pipeline from him. So I, I think it's pretty crazy to think that, you know, again, what may only be murmurs, there's still no deal being done there. You'd think you would have locked it up by now. This has dragged on for a long time. I don't
2: know. I I find it very, very strange that he's under any sort of speculation. So... And the club's been pretty, pretty quiet on it. Like, there's one way to squash it.
1: Come out and do something about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Then people were drawing lines the other day when this issue came out about money, and they've just sacked half their staff, and they are giving redundancies, and they're really struggling on the field, and they've lost sponsors, and they've basically got a clean jersey. A big result of that being well, sponsors have bailed out after yeah, the behaviour of a feeder. There and you go. And like,
2: like, But they're, the, they're these players that they keep on enabling that behaviour. There needs to be repercussions for your behaviour, like, and I know that Josh Dugan's come out um, since, yeah, you know, carrying on like a yeah. pork chop, and he's he's done some, I think, some really really good things in terms of, you know, mental health awareness, um, spoken about all that stuff, which I think is is hugely positive, and you know that that's one way to attract sponsors. I think to have players out there delivering that yeah. sort of good public message, but the damage has been done in the yeah. fact that those sponsors are gone. So. Um, Fafita doesn't tend to have any remorse in him. That's just his personality. Like, you've, you either love him or you hate him. I don't love him. I don't hate him. But, he's good football, you know, I, I he's a good footballer. He's a good footballer. Like, but for me, from a business perspective, he's hurt their brand. He's hurt their business. So to the point now where they don't have... Their jersey looks like a Lowe's
1: jersey. Oh, it's back to what it was when they had the scandal a couple of years ago. You know, it's and they're, they're at the
2: point where they've won a competition two years ago. And now they're back to where they were at the start of that cycle. Like, yeah. with no sponsors... What happened to this big apartment building that they were, they were had They'd, and that was going to pull in a shitload of money for them?
1: They've still got another development and that one going, but I don't think it pulled in as much as what they would hope for. There you go. And then on top of that, like you said... Uh, they
2: you said know, that they were going to be financially stable for the next 50
1: years because what, what, of that. What scares me, though, when you look at that side of things as well, people go, you get the $13 million from the NRL. you so wasn't like
2: a leagues club.
1: You operate with nine on your salary cap or 9.2, whatever it is, there's still $4 million left over. So it's pretty hard to look at it and go, you know, they don't have a whole lot. How are you
2: running at a loss? Yeah,
1: even culling half their staff now that they've done in other areas, it it just seems crazy to think that they're that hard up at this point in time. But I'd say one thing, though, and I've said it before, the junior pipeline they've got there, and I do the cup and I do a lot of these games, they've got a hell of a lot of players coming through, but they need to handle this carefully because they've lost Jesse Ramian, they let a couple of young blokes go, and they've had a tendency, as I mentioned before the year ended, to keep older blokes around. Lewis has moved on, Gallon stayed for one more year, but all these kids aren't going to keep waiting and clubs are going to start poaching. Mm. The upside for them is they've been lucky enough to lock in his son, who was one of the best, if not the best, half last year in the New South Wales Cup, and was only 21, Yeah, and their Jersey flag-winning halfback, Braden Trindle, who was awesome in the grand final got man of the match, only 19, also signed on. So yeah. you're talking a situation now where you have potentially two of the best young halves as backups for Chad Towns and Sean Johnson. And then you've got Matt Moylan who filled in at six where you're playing one. So they've got a bit of a Mexican standoff in that situation like they did last year with fullback that they have to work out. Mm. I don't think – I kind of sat there and thought if I was Kyle, I'd be a little bit disappointed. Obviously, he's working under his father and maybe he's happy to sit there for another year or two and wait. But when Johnson came in and Moylan moves to fullback and then you re-sign the other kid, you're in a bit of an awkward spot there again where you're fighting even just to play first grade, let alone just being in New South Wales Cup again after a good year. So. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out long-term, whether he does stay there for the full two years and wait to play or if Townsend gets moved on when he comes off contract because I think he's still got two years to run as well. Yeah. So good uh, good depth, good play, player pipeline, but yeah, off-field, not doing too well for them at the moment. So maybe the Sean Johnson signing and a good start of the year could see a couple of sponsors come on board. Who knows? But interesting to see that with the Sharks and if Flanagan came off tomorrow... I don't know about the Eels fans out there, but of all the clubs I'm looking at and the job he's just done where he is at the Sharks with not a lot of help, the junior area in Parramatta are, and the job he's done, that would be the first man I'd be calling if I was the Parramatta Eels. Yeah, agree. Shane Flanagan. I agree. All right, the Penrith Panthers. Another one of the ones with the coaching change. Griffin's not getting sacked. He's safe. He's going to have his job. We all know how that panned out. That was a big load of bullshit. Uh, he was offloaded. The board goes off on their own and recruits Ivan Cleary. Basically, we're we're assuming all the reassurances were given that Gus Gould would have no involvement or pull this time over him and the football department, the decision he wants to make, which gives parallels more to what you said before. That You'd have to assume in the next 12 to 24 months or so that he's only doing contracts and off-field stuff and operating every day of the club, not the football department, or potentially not going to be there some stage soon with a five-year deal being in place for Ivan Cleary. Yeah. Do I like the move? Yes, I do like the move in the fact of the coach and what I think the coach brings. And he's the one who planted a lot of these seeds for these young players, as we've mentioned many times before, coming through. He never should have been sacked, yes, but I'm more disappointed from a character point of view, as we mentioned before, just that I thought he would have you know, at least given something or some sort of clarity on the whole situation while I was at the Tigers. And I just think I feel a little bit disappointed in the fact there was just deaf silence when all this was going on and it was pretty obvious it was happening, that he didn't really address it all. I think that's my biggest disappointment. I'm not going to take away or throw daggers or anything at him, but more what I was saying before, I think from the outside looking in, Tigers fans and a lot of people out there wouldn't be happy the way this is handled. And there's going to be more pressure, not just on good, like you said, but I think more from a public perspective, because Pamrith have handled things the way they have and basically lied about all this. He's come back. His son's there, et cetera. I think there's just going to be a heap of external pressure that they have to win a competition now. I think it's a great hire. I yeah. think it's the right thing to do. But, yeah, there's going to be pressure coming from everywhere after the way this has all been handled and what's gone down at Penrith in the last season or the back end of the year with the coaching situation.
2: You won't get any argument out of me. So Any argument out of me at all. I, um, It's difficult for me to comment on because, you know, I spent 10 years at the Panthers coaching – um, and, you know, a large portion of that, five years of that was under, you know, Ivan Cleary from 20s right through to Harold Matthews. So I've seen the fantastic things that both um, Phil, well, Phil Gould, Matt Cameron and, um, and Ivan Cleary have all sort of developed and implemented at the Panthers. But it's just difficult to justify the way that they've operated in the last two years. From well, three years, I guess. From the sacking of Ivan in the first place, it seemed um, an emotional response to a disagreement. Um, you know, Phil Gould publicly said that he needed a rest. He the since said bullshit. he since said that you know whether that that decision wasn't necessarily a correct one. The Penrith board obviously didn't agree with the decision because they approached Ivan without Gus's permission or knowledge. Um, if you believe what Gus said publicly on his podcast. He said that Dave O'Neill approached Ivan in a meeting um, and asked whether he would be interested in coming back to coach uh, without Gus Gould's knowledge. So it seems as though the board's jumped over Gus's head here and this is the first real time that he's come under question for anything that he's done there in his time at Penrith. So, look, I think... Overall, do I think Ivan going back is a right call? I, well, I definitely think he's a better coach than Cameron Serraldo. I definitely think he's a better coach than, than Anthony Griffin. Griffin, no doubt in my mind. Um, the method is, is, is what I would question. And this all comes back to the start of the dominoes falling, and that was the incorrect decision to sack him in the first place. So for me... They were in a very, very, very good position at that point in time in terms of juniors. You know, the, the NRL side didn't finish off all that well that season in 2015. They had injuries, though. But they had a shitload of injuries. They played off for the wooden spoon at home. I think there were questions. I know internally there were questions over the players' discipline, particularly in that last game against Newcastle. I don't know whether people will be able to remember back that far, but there were that, fights yeah. and there were thing, different things going on. And Ivan's leadership and his discipline came in under question Externally, but I also know that it came under some scrutiny both within the organisation. So, you know, fast forward to now, where where are the Panthers in terms of, you know, what progressions have they made between now and then? From an on-field perspective, I believe they've gone backwards. I think I don't, they've I,
1: gone, definitely gone backwards. I
2: don't think um, their on-field performances are not as good as what they were or potentially could have been Back at that point in time. A lot of people forget that in 2014, Ivan took them to a preliminary final with a scrap side. He had Will Will Smith playing 5'8. They yeah. had a shitload of injuries that year as well. They were beaten by the Bulldogs. If they got to the grand final, they were I think they were a better chance of beating South than what the Bulldogs were, in my opinion. But you know, looking ahead now, I just think I look, I think they're they're in the right position now. But you've burnt three years. How long is it going to take Ivan to get them back to the position where they were? Um, you know, I think they've got they've got some really good young coaches there. Ben Harden's a fantastic coach. He's, you know, I, I did a lot of coaching with him. Um, he's my age, you you know him, you probably don't know him as well as I do in terms of a coaching perspective, but he's gonna have developed a lot of pathways, kids there, they're gonna come through. So the production line is there, the Harold Matthews side were good last year. The SG ball, uh, ball side won, won it. So Twenties that production line final. is always going to be there. But it's about transferring that production line into NRL premierships. It's, otherwise, it's useless having that yeah. pathway there because at the moment, I and mean, too often in the past, those players have gone elsewhere and they have... Provided players to win premierships elsewhere at other clubs. And so, this
1: was the other thing I mentioned before about Gus keep saying, "Oh, we need 50 games, or he's only young, or this or that, or we're oh, still look, building." Look, there's a lot of we're, we're data. Not, there's done. a lot of
2: data in, in and around the fact that you need to develop players, yeah, and that you know, you once you get to 80 first grade games, you're in that sweet yeah, spot of winning, is- being able to win a comp.
1: They already had a group and they you, yeah. f- fucked it up, basically, for lack of a better word, when they signed Matt Moylan and Bryce Cartwright to be the face of that group, along yeah. with Tom and But this uh, goes back to what I said before again.
2: Gus is a mastermind at dumping contracts. They've like dumped he contracts. Got, he got rid of Moylan and he got rid still of Cartwright. It's a stall,
1: is what I'm saying, where they should agree, have been pushing that. for a premiership. So you need to make the right decisions. It's all good to keep but I'm pumping the kids not sure,
2: I'm not sure that those decisions would have been rubber stamped under Ivan's leadership. Oh, I'm
1: fine with that. But I'm just saying so, you, you can pump players out, but you mm- need to deliver eventually. You can't keep saying, oh, they need to develop. We need to wait. We've got more kids coming. At some point, one of these groups, because the talent's going to keep coming.
2: To me, Penrith have lost their eye for the not obvious, the details. Um, And Ivan is a very, very good coach in terms of the details. He understands core fundamentals and he coaches them very well. He understands just fundamental things. You know, There'll be five or six things fundamentally that he wants to do well on offense. There's fundamentally five or six things he wants to do well on defense, He's very big on transitioning in between the two, on kick chase, on penalties, on dropouts, on just those core cool little things within your game that win and lose you football games. So they're going to be very, very good in terms of the details. For me, watching the Panthers in, in the last few years, they've lacked in the details. So
1: They've been very basic. Do I think
2: that Penrith are going to be able to win the comp this year? I'm, I don't know. But I would be shocked if they do not win a competition within the next three years. And I'll say that openly here right now because I believe that Ivan Cleary, you know, people are going to say, oh, well, his fucking coaching percentages below 50%. Well, that's because he's, he's been rebuilds. doing rebuilds and everywhere. He did another rebuild at the Tigers. His, his coaching record probably um, flatters him in terms of the sides that he's actually coached when you look at the rosters, particularly, and we've just gone through it, the roster at the West Tigers, are, you know, 75% of league experts Predicted to win the Wooden Spoon, including you. You know, like The only reason I fucking picked them not to win the Spoon was because because I was there, there, right? Not because of the roster.
1: Put that disclaimer on it, that it wouldn't surprise me if they did. To
2: me, if anything, that just speaks volumes of what the impact that he can have. I'm very, very confident in high-performance manager. Again, work with him for a long period of time. One of the best in the league. Phil Gould is one of the smartest, both football minds, and I think he's proven himself a master at dealing with a cap. I think they've got all the ingredients there. Except to win a knowing. competition, except, sorry?
1: To me, except a hooker.
2: Yeah, oh. on field, I think they've got enough there to overcome that. Like, there's going to be one or two little pieces that Ivan's going to identify and he's going to fix them, I believe. If they don't win a competition in the next three years, I think organisationally from the start of Gould's tenure till the end, and I said before that... I'd be shocked if he's there to start the 2020 season. I think this is he's in his twilight. He's in the last probably two years. That's only my opinion. I have nothing to go off hmm. in that in that regard. I'm shocked he's still there now. I'm shocked that Ivan took the job with Gus there. So they've obviously mended the defences there, which is which is from fantastic the from the club the club's perspective. So but I look, I think organisationally, it's going to be a failure if they don't win a comp in the next three years. If they don't have a competition within that 10-year 10 tenure that Phil Gould's been there, I think organisationally it's a failure. Mm. Failure in terms of trophies. Yeah. Not failure in terms of, you know, look at the centre they've got out there. Well,
1: we've said a million The infrastructure times. there they're is as good, as good as anything. You know, Everything's but fixed.
2: Now it's time to win a comp.
1: They need to win a comp. And again, so, I, I look on field and I That's think what
2: they're going to be judged on now.
1: Immediately, his son's the halfback. Uh, again, the halves market to me, and we've said this a million times, it's inflated. Is he worth a million dollars? Right now, on what he delivers on field, no, he's not. But in the halves market, currently, is he worth a million dollars? 100% is If Mitchell it. Moses is worth 850, and etc., but it's a different market. And we've said this before you have to pay, you're worth what someone's willing to pay. And the halves market does not compare to anything else. Do I think there's more to add to his well, game? It's simple
2: economics, it's supply and demand. Yeah, like, I mean, exactly. okay, so if say, Fuck you we're not going to pay you, who are they going to play there?
1: No, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm yeah. just saying. So, you agree with me? The halves market's inflated for a good reason because there's not enough of them.
2: Well, it's not. In, it's inflated in the fact that there's not you know, enough. There is, there is. Yeah, there is 16 teams all who need two quality playmakers. There's not 32 world class playmakers out there. No. So, needless to say, the top 10 demand a premium, and Penrith have. The starting yeah. series-winning New South Wales State of Origin half.
1: I don't disagree with that, but I will throw out there, and it'll piss plenty of people off. I think Mitchell Pearce does as good, if not a better, job than Nathan Cleary no, last no, year like, with the, like the changes. With so no, you're not going to get an argument. You're not going to get an argument. People are going to now. I get that, but that team completely changed.
2: But you're, for me, Mitchell Pearce is in those top ten halves. So yeah. he, t- yeah, and you know, and what he did, his record at Newcastle speaks for itself last year while he was on the field. But. For me, you look at Penrith's roster, they've got two elite halves. Yeah. If you've got two elite halves, and he's you've got, got so a fantastic it. GM, you've got a shitload of juniors coming yeah. through, you've got the best facilities in the league, you've got what many would say is an elite coach, you need to win comps.
1: All I'm saying is last year, I thought he took a step backwards. I know he had the injury and the, things weren't really great, but I thought he got a bit kick-happy. I know their structure probably didn't help the fact of his running game, but I didn't think he ran enough. But let's be
2: honest here. And he, I think again with the ball playing, yeah, He was hamstrung by
1: a coach who was
2: below par.
1: Yes, and he had an ankle injury we didn't know about and he had the surgery, but I'm just saying. And, no,
2: and please, uh, no disrespect to Anthony Griffin. None meant whatsoever. But Anthony Griffin was paddling with a rowboat up a shit creek. Yeah. Because he wasn't great, getting man. along with the GM. Like, it was just poisonous, that, that whole environment. Yeah. Um, and he was being undermined by his assistant coach, Cameron Serrato. We know that. Gus Gould basically came out and said that, mm. that he was – Cameron wanted to leave. Yeah. You know, like, for me, I, I don't think that's a very good advertisement for Cameron from a from a perspective moving forward as a coach, to have someone come out and say that basically you were undermining the head coach as a – Potential future coach. I think that's a terrible thing to have on your resume. But the, the fact of the matter is that that was occurring. That was the coaching environment that these players were trying to operate in. No wonder they weren't performing up to the level that they needed to.
1: Well, I think moving on from that, they're going to be better on field, no doubt. I think they're going to be better in attack. They're going to be more well layered, especially in good ball where they were awful last year. There won't be as many simple one outs or piss poor, just, you know, early shifts. Nathan's going to have. Bare minimum, same as Luke Brooks did last year, to maximise him inside-outside support every time he goes to the line, which I don't think he's had the last couple of years. But I think a lot of things are going to have to fall into place. I love Campbell Gillard like a lot of people, but I don't rant and rave to the same extent that he's the best front row in the game like Someday. I think he's got to be more consistent. That whole forward pack needs to be more consistent. I think James Maloney, they need to retire from origin football because I don't think he'll last the whole season otherwise. Um They're going to need to get a lot out of nine. I don't think Wade Egan's the answer. I think Katoa's the nine to go forward with. But again, is he your answer long-term? I don't know. And then at fullback, they've got a decision to make now that Dallin played for New Zealand as the fullback and was named captain by Michael Maguire, which is pretty high praise when Sheck wasn't there. And there was a lot of other potential players. And he finished the year pretty well, but you've also got Dylan Edwards. So I think that one's a good headache to have because to me, either way there, you've got a good yardage winger. Yeah, but and a also, good sometimes, or vice
2: versa. sometimes you don't want to have all the cards because no, which cause... one do you play first and how do you slot them in? So sometimes it's, you know, oh, I wish I had three. But then, I think they've know, got it's... everything
1: there to get it done, but I still think there's a few things that need to be... Grass
2: is always greener on the other side, isn't it, in terms yeah. of what you've got? There so... needs to
1: be more consistency from a few guys that I think get a lot of praise who haven't been as consistent as what's spoken of. And I, I think you've think...
2: just spoken to what the biggest issue is, is that sometimes they've got too many riches there. They need to find consistent positions to... Make sure that they're in a position to perform at an elite level, not just be constantly changing and trying to. Yeah. You know, we had Moylan play at six and at one. We've got Dallin playing at wing and at fullback. You've got Wanga Blake going from centre to wing. You've got Dean Farrow who played fullback, wing, centre. You've just got all these guys that are playing in multiple positions. You had Cartwright who was playing six back and row, it was playing back lock. row. Just for me, it's let's nail down some positions. How often do you see Melbourne? changing positions like it's this guy is our back row yeah. this is his job number one this is what i need you to do this is what you're accountable to and organize organizationally we're moving in this direction and it's very fucking clear on what's going on yeah. i think that's missing at penrith at the moment
1: well i think it'll be pretty straightforward what the side looks like if it's
2: straightforward then tell me tell me how you formulate that back through
1: and i think it's going to be better coach how would you formulate that back through well, from what I saw last year and Edwards coming fresh off the shoulder surgery, he wasn't much of a ball player when he's there. I'd probably give Dalen the start at one and I'd put Edwards on the wing and I'd have Manson on the for
2: other for me, one. I'd have Edwards at one.
1: Yeah, well, I'd be happy either. I don't way, know, but,
2: but the fact is that me and you...
1: I think they're we, both, we disagree on it. I think like, they're both strong carries. Respectfully disagree on it. I think they're both strong carries, but the question is ball playing. And it's
2: not for us to prove a point. It's not whether no. you're right or I'm right because it doesn't matter. I don't think either of us are right or no. wrong. It's a variance in opinion, but it just highlights the fact that the headaches that Ireland's no, going to
1: have it's there. And then, because
2: of how many quality players they've got. It's
1: no different to what I've said the last few years when we talk about the back row and how Kikau couldn't get a run. And I don't think that's a problem anymore. He will be one of the back rows, and the other one's going to be Yo. I think it's also Fisher Harris a lock.
2: Yo, um Campbell Gillard, uh Dallin, Wanga Blake, and particularly Nathan Cleary. This year, you need to move into those elite
1: levels, yeah, and that's more what I'm saying. For like, you, a,
2: too often it's you, they're going to be good. They're going to be good. They're young. Yeah. They're going to be good. You know, but, now it's time. Be the elite player. That's be why. Be leader
1: I, on the field. I bring up a Campbell. Gillard, like I love Campbell Gillard as well, but I think people overlook a lot of things. If you actually look at film, people go, oh, he's great and he's so aggressive, this, that, and the other. But a lot of the time he shoots out of line. He misses four or five tackles a game. I don't think he carries consistently enough. Like, And then when he came back from his injury last year, I know he had an injury, but a lot of other guys have injuries too, and I didn't think he played well the I don't back in his year.
2: Form, I don't think his form has been consistent enough, and I, I'd no. say that about Dallin. Um, Dylan Edwards I think was fantastic in a short stint. He hasn't proven himself to firstly just be able to stay healthy for a season. Um, Wanga Blake, I think he's been tremendously inconsistent. And Nathan Cleary, I think it was fantastic for 18 months. Even he had a dip there um, post-origin last year. His form obviously spiked again at the end of the year. Um, and James Maloney, was his form was up and down. So for me, if they're going to get uh, what they want, and that's a premiership, and to do that you need to finish top four, they need consistency out of these players.
1: Well, I think we've hit the nail on the head. As usual, we've gone way over on the Panthers, but there's plenty of juice to talk about there. But I'll put this out there now, and it's not a season preview, but to me next year it's top four or bust. Yeah, exactly. Plain and simple with the talent and now having Well, and the
2: reason why is because it's proven that if you don't finish top four, we can't
1: win it. Yep. It was proven again this year. Proven again, 100%. The last one and the biggest fish of them all was obviously Bennett and the Broncos and Seabold and South and... This all started way back when, last year. This was the ongoing saga at Brisbane that he went to the board, he offered proposals, he asked about having Demetrio take over and moving into a different role uh, and being above. Then they said to him, you can have an off-field role, but you're not going to be coaching and be done with Demetrio. He wasn't happy with that. Constantly had stories out there and was taking jabs at the club. They obviously didn't really appreciate that they went out and went after Green they went after Bellamy they went after every person under the sun until we heard about Seabold mm-hmm. and we'd heard rumours through the year even though I'd mentioned other times that South thought they had a chance or they thought they were mm-hmm. going to talk to him that the deal was already done but it dragged on he grew frustrated obviously and had a bit of a snap head into the finals they looked a little bit off their game he looked a little bit off his game as well and Wayne Bennett again as things dragged on got to the finals talked about his players talked about he wasn't going anywhere he was staying and then the eventual breakdown was in the off-season, the talk was Seabal wanted to get his deal done ASAP. Yeah. South thought they had a chance, didn't hear much for a couple of weeks. They put a deadline on him, and fair enough. They're basically saying, you've taken over this job last year that we put faith in you to get rid of a premiership winner. Yeah, We're expecting some kind of response here, even though you've got another year to run. He'd fended him off for long enough, which makes me think, unfortunately, more so that he had the deal already done with Brisbane well early. And they didn't meet the deadline, so they went and signed Wayne Bennett and announced it straight away. And mm-hmm. then on the flip side of that, Brisbane, obviously, not long. It didn't really confirm it, but they did a couple of weeks later that they were going to have Anthony Seabold. So you'd think it would have been obvious, like we said, that you just do the swap and get it over and done with. But yeah. bravo to Wayne Bennett. I don't really think he handled it that well, nor did Brisbane. I think South, if out of anyone, handled it the best. And I didn't, don't think Seabold handled it too well either. I think South's the only one kind of with a clean skin here, but... Wayne Bennett, brother, whether I agree with it or not, the last month or so of him dragging this out, planting seeds of doubt, aggravating the Broncos. He rang up and canceled pre preseason camp and organized his own camp. He was ringing players down at South, and I reckon he was just staying there for a little bit of a shit stir to maybe even put more doubt in their mind and the Broncos' mind that he was going to try and poach some of these players, which is already proven false because the players mentioned were Lodge and Pango, and all these guys won't move. Lodge just signed for two more years. McCulloch and a lot of guys have come out and endorsed him. Oates signed for a one-year deal because he thinks he can prove he can get a bigger one and he wants to stay there. Uh, I don't really think there's going to be a big exodus going one way or vice versa when there was talk of Cook going up there. He's confirmed McCulloch's job. Cook's re-signed at South. But I think Wayne Bennett's done a real good job on the way out of just rattling the cage a little bit of Brisbane, rattling the cage of Mm Seabold. And then he's walked down there, like you said, after he got fired, saying, I had a clear conscience, I had a contract, I'm a team player, I never said I, I was adamant and I was staying. The only way they'll get me out of there was by firing me, which is what they did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He cost himself $900,000, which he was looking for the payout for, but apparently... Don't come, go to court. Come out. Oh, no, he said today, it's not going to fight that. But with image rights and other things that they use him around the club, they owe him $300,000, which he's going to get anyway.
0: Mm.
1: But it's not like he's short of a dollar. So I, I just think on the way out there, that last little bit in the last month is smart by Wayne Bennett as usual just to kind of turn the knife and rattle the cages a little bit. Yeah. And I think they're both better off for it in the end. The players seem to have jumped on board with Seabold up there. There's been a lot of talk in the last couple of days very quickly that they're happy with the intensity and some of the changes that have been made. They've got a very good young squad. He's got some decisions to make, obviously, especially in the halves. I think Milford's safe, but Nick Arima, you're already hearing murmurs, no. I think O'Sullivan's the better option to play there with him this year. They've got some good young kids coming through as well. Thomas Dearden's a young schoolboy. He's not going to play straight away, but he's an option moving into the future. Tanner Boyd, another one, so... Uh, He's got a spoil of riches. I think their bigger issue is fitting everything in Mm. because Maguire's obviously been moved on. Matt Gillette's come back from a severe injury and he looked really, really skinny. Uh, They tried to get rid of Kahu and that's still a rumour that won't go away. Alex Glenn appears to be on the outer as well. There's rumours about him going to the Titans or the Warriors, but you've got Fafita... David Feta, who came coming last year as eighteen year old looked outstanding in the back row. You've got young Jaden sewer who I think is going to play Origin at some point. I thought he was great before he got injured last year. Payne Haas, I didn't agree with that deal, but again, a lot of people have to pay on potential. He was sought after by about ten or eleven clubs, so they didn't really have a choice. Yeah, and that's why they made that move. But those guys, along with Lodge, Pungai Junior, Azarko, and the moves they made last year, they have a bunch of riches. And I don't think this year there's a pressure year for Seabold. I think, again, this is a workout year and then possibly trying to find a half. But again, looking at the market, I don't think there's a lot out there. So I think his biggest question is going to be, is Nick Arima a halfback? Or is Sean O'Sullivan my answer? Or are they going to have to wait for one of these other kids to move along, which I don't know if they're going to be ready too soon. But there's a lot of other pieces there. It's looking pretty good. And I think with his style of play and some of those kids, it's going to suit. I think my bigger question this year for him would be on the spine. Can Darius Boyd, Andrew McCulloch in particular, play the sort of style that he played at South Sydney mm. and adjust to it? I don't know if those two have the tempo or the ability at this point in their career to keep up with the kind of high-paced offense or attack that South liked to play last year. The halves, I think, have no doubt with the way they ball run, but at the same time, they had a great kicker in Adam Reynolds to dictate and control them of their sets, which is one thing that they've also lacked. So I think that's a part that's missing. They've got two guys that are similar to more to what they had in Cody Walker. Yep. So I'm very interested to see what's going to happen there with them. Uh, and regardless of what people think of Matt Lodge, the way he played his football last year with another offseason, I think he's a guy who was added to that extended blues squad and who's going to push to play red football. I don't know if he will, but regardless of what you think of the bloke, what he happened on field in another preseason, I think he's going to be contending. And it's a great group of kids. But uh, for Wayne Bennett, I think it's good for him. The change of scenery, he's loved by the three Burgesses. They've got a big pull at South Sydney, in particular Sam Burgess. Yeah, you know, the English um,
2: job helps him a lot.
1: Yeah, so he's already got a link there. You hear John Sutton come out and say straight away he's excited. Damian Cook signs on the dotted line, which shows you no doubt he's happy about the situation. My biggest question is can he will he maintain the attack or the same kind of setup they had after what he saw last year? Because he's a lot well, again, more Again, like he's basic. walking
2: into walking into a preseason. Yeah. Very early. Oh, sorry, very late. You know, like it's again, it's gonna be very, very difficult to change um his approach. So I, I think South will adopt, you know, heavily from what Sebold did and had planned. Uh, you know, he talks a lot about his game model and you know how he likes to, you know, build his structure from um, different elements of the game. Through, look, I don't, I don't think Wayne Bennett's going to be that structured and that intelligent in his approach. Will probably be a lot simpler than what Seabold is, but I just think he's going to be going to have to be very careful in terms of how quickly you make adjustments to what they're doing. So, you know, I think he's gonna be in a similar position to what Michael McGuire is in that he's just gonna have to sit, settle, um, get the lay of the land and probably run with what's been planned and and then as the year go on, formulate game plans and structures, I guess, to try and get the best out of that team. You know, whether that is just continuing what Seabold has done or whether it's, you know, putting his own spin on it. It'll just it'll be interesting to see.
1: Well, I think he's walking into a pretty good situation. I think both are walking into good situations for what they're doing. But I think Wayne Bennett's two years. Who's going to replace him after that and what he's got right now? I don't know if they're in a position to win a competition. And I don't know if they're going to be a better... No, I think they are. I, see, I think they are. I, don't th- I more take it from the perspective of how they're going to be coached this year. I think people are going to have a lot of video on what they did last year. and I think they're going to play the same and the way he's... He's been a lot more basic during his career. He's been a more defensive-orientated coach, and he likes his assistants to come in and do a job. And up there, it was Jason Demetrio, whereas Seabold is very hands-on. He enables the assistants, but he is more up-to-date, more of a kind of guy that's going to crunch video, come up with these new concepts, the way they're going to attack. And I think Brisbane's going to adapt to it well with those younger players. And they've basically said they've changed the way they're training instantly. So he's gone in there with his own program. He's not sticking with what Brisbane were doing. On the flip side, I think things might get a little more basic at South.
2: But I think that's that's what I'm saying. It's very, he, it's very much, uh, I think it's easier to go from simple to complex because you're building up. I think, I think it's going to be hard for South to go from being so structured and having so many layers of their game to peel that back.
1: Yeah, I, just, Particularly I, was, this I think what they installed last year, that was so positive for them. I think the biggest issue for them was defensively, they needed to work out that left-hand edge, which was an issue. And the other thing was finding more off the bench. And looking again who they signed this year, I don't think from memory there was anyone really coming across. They lost a few fringe guys, but I don't think they really signed anyone of great note to come onto the bench for them. The Probably the big thing is they've locked up a couple of guys for the future. So Cam Murray and Campbell Graham both locked into 2021 and now Damian Cook long term. But I don't know. I think they're definitely a finals team again. Mm. But I don't know if they're going to grow that much under Wayne Bennett. I think he'll do a good job again. I think they'll buy in and they'll be a happy group but I don't know if they're a team that I can see winning the comp at this point in time. But He's won seven premierships for a reason. Is there anything left in the tank? Does the old Fox have something there? Apparently everyone down there was guaranteed their job as well whereas up in Brisbane they weren't. Yeah. And We've already heard Ben Cross and Peter Gentle have gone up with Seabold so does Demetrio get moved on and a couple other blokes up there? Alfie, I'm not too sure but I look at both of these two and My biggest issue is more what we said at the start. There was just so much bullshit peddled in the media and it was just dragged on and nobody owned anything that I just think it was really poorly handled. and I've actually been really surprised. Brisbane fans are not really ones to take a shot at their club. Brisbane fans are really disappointed at their own club. Mm. at Wayne Bennett and the club, not one side. Seen a lot of social media stuff angry at both sides of the coin that they weren't happy with Paul White, the board, the way the clubs handled things, the way Wayne handled things. Uh, like I said, I think the only real winner out of all this situation or the only one who came out kind of clean to me was South. I thought South handled perfectly fine. Yeah, They wanted to keep him. They gave him his first opportunity. He didn't really give him a response. They put a deadline at the end, which is fair enough. They're trying to make a decision about their future. Uh, then they went and signed Wayne Bennett. They locked in some young talent. Uh, they haven't really lost anybody. They've got a good pair of halves. Good hooker. The only real question, I guess, there that Wayne Bennett's already posed is, does he want Greg Innes to play fullback? And I've openly said, much like a lot of older guys, I don't think he's got the stamina to do it anymore last whole season. Hmm. But do I think they can win a comp with Alex Johnston after watching him break down last year and just the way he played at the back end? No, I don't. So Corey Allen, the young guy who was at Brisbane, who got picked for the PM's 13 without even playing a game of NRL, I've been a big fan of what I've seen in the juniors, but can he develop into a premiership-winning fullback within one season of NRL football? I don't know. So that's why I look at them and kind of think they may peel things back a little bit, but I think they'll be easier to deal with. And I don't know if they've got enough improvement or enough change in their squad to be a premiership contender. I definitely think they're a top eight side though. Yeah. Brisbane, I don't know what to expect. I think the pressure's under at least being the finals, but I, I can't see them in one year. Jumping out of the ground, even with this system that I think will work really well with the style of player they've got and so many young kids, I think it's a growing year. I think if both coaches can sort
2: of hold fort and hold where they were last year would be an achievement. Yeah, particularly with all the stuff that's going on off field. And you know, you look at the Cowboys, you look at the little disruptions they had last year in their preseason, look at the impact that had on the field. um, With the differences being so small between the clubs and the difference between roster strength so small in the clubs these off-field distractions cannot uh, have big ramifications once a ball's kicked you know if you're losing time and theoretically both these teams have now lost you know we're starting December now it's it's a week into December and they're now only really just starting with their new coaches so they've theoretically lost a month.
1: Would you say that and this is the one thing I've seen a lot of people blowing up about that oh, IFC Bold fails and the club and the board, and everyone should get sacked. Do you feel that both clubs have won, given the way the situation panned out?
2: I think South have lost.
1: I, I think South I think have, South lost, have lost long in term because yeah, he has years I, behind him. But I, I think I feel that South, even though they've lost him for who they've brought in for a year or two, I think I think it's more planning straight away for the succession.
2: More. Well, they, b- the, the, the point is, they had the succession there. Yeah. Um,
1: well, they had their future there. Yeah. They found their future within an assistant coach, which but doesn't I come guess- on very often
2: yeah you know, he wanted to leave. he was always going to leave. like I, I just don't think that Seabold saw that opportunity coming so quickly.
1: I don't, I don't want to justify what he did, but looking at the way he's had to move around from a guy that played lower grades and then coached all over the place, Q Cup, England, Melbourne, with the Queensland side in Sydney moving around like he jumped around a lot of places and he's from Brisbane. So I can't knock a guy who come from their junior system and wanted to play first Particularly grade and in
2: that he did nothing wrong because he well, he He, he still did. had
1: a year to go. Yeah. And he so probably could look, have been a little more up front. But he's allowed to sign within the twelve months like he has. My bigger issue is again, he wasn't up front probably early enough with South. And I can understand why, yeah, again, a well, lot of the players have jumped from a,
2: from a, uh, what he was doing. From a media perspective, he hasn't. But you don't know what conversations were going on behind closed doors.
1: Well, it took this long for things to get sorted, though. So I assume he was not leading them along, but not giving them a lot of information. Yeah. My bigger thing is, again, the fans to feel hard done by over the way it was kind of all handled, I could assume that they're pretty upset. But one thing well, I think more as a player, if I was a player and a lot of them kept saying at the back end of the year, we love Sieves, we hope he stays, Cook did, Sam did, everyone... I think that pipeline may be cut off now. I think a lot of blokes may be disappointed with the way that he wasn't really that up front it. and not like critically angry, but I, I dare, dare say there's not going to be a lot of communication in the sense of people chasing him up to have a coffee. That's oh, what I, I think, think.
2: short term, yeah, you're probably right, but uh, long term they'll get over yeah. it because it's the same as what players do. They they take better deals and they break contracts early and they manipulate clubs and player managers manipulate and, you know, it's the whole cycle. This is what we kicked off the show talking about. It's... To me, it's farcical. I know a lot of rugby league people say it's great because we're talking about it and it's good. You know, we can have a podcast now and we're talking footy and, you know, the fans obviously love listening to us talk about it and it's December and we're talking footy. But for me, it's farcical just in how, you know, how there's a lack of, I guess, administrative responsibility or. Um, Integrity in the game Is probably my concern And you know Where do you draw the line Like is I heard Renny Matua last night Talking on Bill and Bo Saying you know oh, it's, This one's just This off season Is just an outlier Going well I don't know about that Like this year There's just been more Than what there has, has been In it's recent been years It's crazy this year
1: Especially player and coach well, you Both know, sides Who's have been.
2: to say that This isn't going to continue oh, I mean time will tell But I just think we need to have A more formal way For all this to go down
1: yeah. Um, and that was probably what I want to finish on before we, we've covered all the cases. Look at the AFL. All the like, I don't think here. you
2: get all the the publicity and the hoo-ha because it's all done formally within that two week period. I like how it's done. Uh, I think it, it benefits both club and player. Uh it still remains that, you know, the player I think gets best deal, the club gets their best deal. From a coach from a coach's perspective, I, I I don't know how you ever get law over coaches because you know the well, clubs are so quick to
1: sack them. They're talking about having their own coaches' union for that reason, which I definitely think they need to get involved. But I also think at the same time, my biggest thing with the coaches and the way this worked out this off-season, especially with the, the Cleary situation, which was just wrong for me that Penrith were in contact when he had two years to run, there needs to be anti-tampering, which the NRL spoke about. But as usual, they mm. speak about a lot of things when do we see yeah, some action. But how do you
2: monitor there that? There needs
1: to be something in place that if there was clear evidence that they're in contact... Uh, if they can get
2: well, there was there was tampering going on between um, the Roosters and Cameron Munster. Was publicized that was publicised that they were talking to him before his contract. Like, yeah, and nothing happened there. Well, that, so,
1: that's basically what got Bennett sacked early from his deal. There, the, the, the fact that he was already ringing players and communicating while he was employed by another but that's club what was I said a of the his show. Deal. So yeah. I said that
2: at the start of the show, you're going to have Seabold at South coaching, managing Brisbane's roster, and and yeah. Bennett at. Brisbane managing South's roster. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And the fact that it was peddled in the media for, you know, almost six to seven weeks that, you know, this is what was going to happen and this is how it's going to stay. And Brisbane making statements saying that, you know, Wayne's our coach and yada, yada, yada. And then it's like, how do you ever expect us to believe that? Like, what organisation outside of rugby league, or we're just talking about smart business, would ever allow that to happen?
1: No. But plain and simple. We're up.
2: stupid. Like, the game, the game needs to grow up the game needs to uh, help itself and and bring in structures and and things that are going to support the game not looking silly in these situations and making sure that we get the best result for clubs players the administration the fans more importantly I think the fans want best result because I think really who's been taken for a ride like the media loves it because they sell papers. Look, the clubs it's, it's know to invest. what's going on. It's hard to the invest. fans are the ones that get punished.
1: Well, it's hard to invest as a fan if you're, like, say, for the Bulldogs. You love David Clemmer and he's played for your club and now he's gone. And then, boom, he's gone. If you're the Warriors and all of a sudden. Sean Johnson. Mason Leno, Sean Johnson, James Garvey jump off. And last year, like, we made the finals, we were looking good, and three of your players are all bailed. Like, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty hard thing. It's a,
2: it's a difficult thing to have to deal with. So, I. Or even if you're you know, a Parra think, fan
1: right now, whether Corey Norman and Mitchell Moses are, you know, character wise or off field or whatever's going on there, even if they're not fans of those two players personally, they're playing at your club and they're trying to offload them well, or they don't us, want to be yeah. there, and you're kind of sitting there going, Well, bloody hell, like it's yeah, pretty hard at to get at the behind Roosters. these guys when
2: Cronk at the storm. You know, you know all of it. It's
1: like mean, plain and simple though, there needs to be transfer windows. I, I have no problem still with the fact that in the last year of your deal you can sign elsewhere because you're going to be off the next year. I don't have a problem with that. But mid-season, whether it's round 14, 15, or in between the second origin, there needs to be a week where it's just, okay, These guys, even these guys that move mid-year that are just fringe players, there needs to be a week where, like, this is when this stuff happens. You don't, you don't want to be here anymore. This club needs you. Like, not, like, trading. If you need to trade for bits and pieces, I'm fine with that. But just these flat-out swaps, like so I'm moving mid-year to a different squad. And then at the back end of the year, like has just happened, I think there should be a month after the grand final or two weeks or whatever it needs to be, where if there's the same issue where Clemmer goes, the Bulldogs goes, I don't want to be here. If he's got a contract, I either want money from the other club he's going to, or I want the player to have mm. to come out of his pocket—a payout clause or something like that—or I want the other club. Like if you're in the situation where Newcastle ring up and they've said, "Oh, we're happy to have him," I'm, like, I'm not just releasing him then. I don't think I want I don't fat. think
2: Todd Todd Greenberg. To me, a good leader, they command the message. They know what the message is that they want to get across. They know what the game stands for. They know what the game's direction is. I don't think he has command of the message because I don't think he understands what the message is. I don't think he understands what the direction of the game is. And the whole reason to formulate um, you know the independent commission was to make sure that we had smart business people. We were moving ahead. We were getting ahead of the curve. We were getting better as a game. And to me, how do you do that? You, you study... The leaders in world sport, you study how the soccer does their transfer windows, you study how the NFL, the NBA, whatever league it is you want to look at, you study how they organisationally compartmentalise their season in terms of trades and schedules and draws and all of that stuff, turnarounds. So for me, I think Greenberg is let down by the administration and the people behind him, most notably the Independent Commission because they're not formulating a clear message or direction for the game, um, you know, if you ask me. So how do you command the message if you don't know what the message and the direction is? Um, and the just organisationally, there's a lack of detail. Like there, there's no real detail in what we're doing as a game. I think it's just, well, we'll roll it over again next year and, you know, we might make some subtle changes, but look, we're working on it. We're getting there, mm. but we're not. No. Well, I we're think- not because, you know, if I look at the game now... We're heading to 2019. You go back to 2009. There's obviously subtle differences, but overall, the game's not that much different. No, there's still the third-party problems. We've still got salary cap problems. Hmm. We've still got problems with uh, player transfers, coach transfers. The fact that a contract means fuck all. Yeah, we've still got problems with the scheduling of state of origin. We've still got problems with player welfare and turnaround in terms of times. Yeah, Um, I think for me, I just I'm becoming very frustrated as a long-term fan in the game, you know, like I'm 32 years old, but I followed the game fairly closely and the details within the game since I was probably 10, you know, read the paper and wanted to know everything, wanted to digest everything within the game. And for me, there's just a lack of growth in the game. The game, to me, just is the same. And we're doing the same things. We're making the same mistakes. Third-party deals, the same fucking thing was happening in 2009. Mm. I think From a junior perspective, you know, like I could go into the whole schoolboy, how the schoolboy um, side of the game is structured at the moment. You know, and oh, it's just, it's, I just, I don't know, the fact that we got rid of the national under 20s and the, the fact that how do you recruit? How do we know who the best players, up and coming players are within our game when we live in a multimedia, um, an ICT, a 21st century te- technological fucking world we and we, we watch can't it. watch under 20s.
1: Yeah, it was non existent last year which frustrated me because I'm juniors. How big the hell
2: the how the hell don't we have the under 16s the under 18s and the under 20s all on the fucking league channel? How does it, how how hasn't someone gone to the NRL and said, "Hey, we want to televise one Harold Matthews game live, one SG ball game live every week. We want to show every other game on replay. If I can get them on a on a disc from a database on the internet, why can't everyone within the game digest that? Yeah. Why couldn't we put that on on a Monday night?
1: Oh, I'm not disagreeing.
2: I, I don't understand how even if we just a, continually shoot ourselves in the foot with if you're a, doc- a lack of detail, a lack of organization, a lack of selling our product.
1: If you're a diehard like we are, and again, they replay things over and over again, on that Fox channel, it's if it's good enough, which it is, put it on even if it's in the AM so people can record it like they do with all these other school movies. Okay, the games, other one it on is, so right, you can record it.
2: You, the during Origin, if we wanted to have a standalone Origin, right, there's a week where the under-18s Australian Championships are had, where they p- they pick the Australian schoolboys team. That's done every, I believe it's term two, the middle term in the school holidays. They have that carnival. It goes for the week. Mm. You can watch it on a live stream. Yeah. Why the hell isn't that on the Fox League channel? Well,
1: it's no different. The couple-
2: tell me, and, and please, tell me if anyone listening goes, fuck, I wouldn't watch that. Because for me, if it was on Fox League, I'd be recording it every day and I'd be watching it every night because I want to look at all the players, all the up and coming players, who they're contracted with, where they're going.
1: Well, that's why I watch the 20s. My people scouts, terrible. I watch the 20s for a reason because I can pick a kid out and go, that kid's head and shoulders above everyone. He's going to play great. I love watching the 20s for that reason. They go, the game's a crap. Or well, <laughs> the game, whether it was loose or whatever it was, I'm scoping for the next players, footy. like you were saying. It's footy for one, footy. but I'm scoping constantly looking. I want to see this guy's going to play great. You know, if that you said to me,
2: great. right, that. Uh, if the New South Wales Rugby League came in, you know, where you're coaching at SG Ball, you're an assistant with the SG Ball, I'm the head coach of the Harold Matthews at West Tigers Campbelltown. If if they came to New South Wales Rugby League, came in, and said to every um, club within the Harold Matthews in the SG Ball competition, right, guys, we're going to cherry pick one game every week, yeah. one game. We're going to play it on a Monday night. Who wouldn't watch it? Who wouldn't get home from work? Treat it as your Monday night footy. It's a good spotlight for people yeah, like me and you, but more importantly, kids. And, for, and you can track And it. for people to have an idea of, oh, man, Canterbury got some really good young halves. West Tigers have got a good young front rower. Whatever it well, is. That's what like, we
1: mentioned last year, though. You can't just a, it's going it to give off.
2: you revenue because people are going to want to sponsor, sponsor that. It's going to bring more money into the game, into grassroots footy. It's going to give you... A huge carrot when you're talking about keeping kids within rugby league.
1: Well, that's why I was disappointed the 20s went, because we stole a lot of good union kids using that because of the TV. they go, oh, they got too much too quickly. I go, I I get the whole thing. They feel like they're... That's the world we live in. What world are you living in? The the whole thing that I agreed one part of it was they go, oh, where's the cup teams? Cup should be on TV as well. Should be. Should be in front of the TV.
2: Cup should be be a legitimate reserve grade. For me, cup should run... Handcuffed straight to the NRL. Yeah. But
1: the 20s every is NRL still deserve to play at the ground. Every, I believe, I believe
2: 20s, reserve grade, and NRL all should be on the same day, yep. every venue. No, Absolutely no argument from me at all. Don't disagree. How do you ever expect players to be professional when they're not treated yeah. as professionals? They're played at fucking Henson Park in front of 100 people on a Saturday afternoon. You then expect to cherry-pick players out of that to then go play at ANZ Stadium in front of 80,000 the week after. It doesn't make I sense. I see the
1: attitudes as well. and I've like Again, it's hard, but I see NRL players, when I do those games of cup that are at North Sydney or at somewhere where there's 100 people, then sometimes you look and you go, like, the blokes, there's legitimate guns. There's 20 players some weeks, and you look at half of them and you go, they don't want to be you. Looking around, it's just like they've been put on the shelf.
2: Well, even the Ron oh. Massey Cup. What can you. Blacktown have just built a multi million dollar fucking stadium out there at Blacktown. Mm. What can you televise a game of Ron Massey Cup, Sydney Shield every week? Let's
1: pick a good one. St
2: Mary's. Simple. St Mary's have got a, a ground there. Let's pick a the, good side. Hello. Like, yep. to me, there's just so much that could be done that's not done. And if you want to bring in money, then that's the way for me how you bring in money. I think we're hitting. This threshold. Like I, I, I truly believe we're getting good value out of our NRL product, but everything around that we're getting no value out of. Look at what college football does for US the US sports market. Look what college basketball does. There's people who do not watch the NBA that just love college football. Mm. Uh, college basketball. Bit, yeah, there's people who one or hate the, other. the NFL that watch college football. Like yeah. with there's a whole big market here, I believe, that just isn't been tapped into.
1: Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you. But Massive podcast as usual. Mm. We can't help ourselves. We usually look at things and we say we'll try and keep it to an hour, a little bit over. But when we start ran, that's kind what happens. Ourselves. But I have got to finish on one thing, and it's not, not I, I don't want to turn it into a rant. But I think most of what today has been about is player movement, coaching movement, actions of players, clubs, managers, etc. But transfer windows need to come in. I have no problem, like I said, with if you within your last twelve months you can sign elsewhere. I don't like free agency like in the AFL because to me you lose your power if you get injured that year. And if you moved into a free agency and you had the year off of the ACL, a club's going to take advantage of that. And I know a player would do the same thing on the flip side, but to me, everyone's accountable regardless of what people think. People point the finger at players. Let me tell you, clubs are as bad in this situation. They warehouse players. They put them on the sideline. They threaten to put them in New South Wales Cup. They do everything in their power as much like on the other side to stick the boot in. So I can understand from both sides when a player's playing well and he's got a bit of leverage, he's looking for the big deal. But my thing is, well, then you and your manager don't take a fucking four-year deal for less money at the time and then complain two years later that, oh, I could get more because salary cap's gone up. And from a club's point of view, don't sign a player, no different to what Penriff did with Trent Merrin for four years, 750000 grand, and then get two years in and then go, oh, we don't want you here now. But that's the way the game works. So all I'm saying is there's... No one person we can point the finger at. Mm-hmm. The clubs are as guilty as the players. The managers are very bad in this situation. Everyone's got their hand in the jar. Players and managers abuse the homesick and issues thing all the time to chase a better payout because they've got a bad deal or they don't like this situation. Clubs use the threat of, like I said, New South Wales Cup will warehouse you and will run you down so you don't get a better deal next time and make you damage goods to try and get rid of someone. We've seen it play out this year with the Bulldogs. Yeah, Greg Eastwood's about to retire. They said, we want you to leave. He's like, I don't care. I'm not going anywhere. They like, go, well, you're on 700 grand. You're going to play cup? Oh, like, that's fine. I'll take my money. Yeah. Peter Wallace and Griffin, Like, we were, we were surprised about them working together. When he was up at Brisbane, they were t- telling him he was safe, so he didn't go elsewhere. And Then at the end, they go, we don't want you. You're going to play in cup, so you want to leave now? And He said, no. And his manager rang up because he had those injuries at the time. We'll take the half a million dollars and play Queensland Cup for you. Mm. So Brisbane were like, oh shit, that backfired. Lucky for them, Penrith ended up taking him. But the shoe goes both ways. Yeah. Clubs are as guilty as the players. But I think the only the big one here who are worse than everybody is still the managers. Oh, the yeah. managers are always looking for the best deal. Semi Red Rara did it a couple of years ago, case in point again. Signed some long deal very quickly after one good season for like two hundred grand a year, and then they'll kick it up a stinky year later that we'll go to rugby union. Yeah. he held off for a little bit longer but he played for Australia to take some money and then he's pissed off to play French rugby now but end of the day don't sign a fucking deal for four years for okay money at the time if your trajectory is looking decent if you're a player manager be smarter if you're a player be smarter yeah. and for clubs like the scene don't play the guilt trip like the Sharks are doing right now the Valentine home situation because if they had some player in a big contract they didn't want they'd do everything to push him out and they'd make it seem as though they're not guilty at all Of course they would. so it goes for everybody there you go. Yeah, Big podcast for everybody out there. Uh, as far as we go, there probably won't be another one unless something ridiculously massive happens. But crazy off-season. Never seen anything like it in terms of player movement, whether it was mutual, not mutual, coaches, etc. five new coaches at different clubs. All those players in particular that we mentioned as well, basically rep players or internationals, mm. which is even crazy. It's usually small players that tend to move, but uh, are very busy. Off season indeed, and we look forward to coming back in the new year. I think the first game of football next year is the Maori versus Indigenous in the men and the women's game on February 15th. Uh, after that, the World Club Challenge is that weekend as well on the Sunday, the 17th. The Roosters are playing against Wigan, and then the trials are the two weekends of February 23rd and March 2nd before a two week gap when the NRL season kicks off on the 14th of March. So, Boxhead. We usually like to get our season previews out at least two weeks or 10 days or whatever beforehand. So looking at those trial dates, I think we would be recording on the 4th or 5th of March after that weekend once we know injuries and all the bits and pieces like we'd like to know before we start picking all our betting odds and our predictions and building our ladder. Yeah. So for all the fans out there, a bit of a gift before Christmas. Hopefully we haven't ran into Raven too much, but there was too much content. And uh, obviously, like we said, when we hit a point sometimes, we, we like to drive it home. But Yeah. For us now, we won't be back until probably March 3rd or 4th. But I think it was necessary that we chatted about a lot of what happened here today. And a lot of people... We'll see.
2: Maybe there's some crazy shit that's going to happen between now and then.
1: If something pops up, we'll definitely chuck a podcast in. But like everyone, uh, missing the football. Still a couple of months away now. But realistically, at the moment, I'd say the 3rd or 4th of March. You could expect our pre-season reviews and our predictions heading into the season of 2019. But for now... Uh, obviously, we usually post it up on the page, but we hope that everybody has a very safe and happy Christmas with your family and friends and loved ones, and also a happy New Year. And we look forward to talking to you again in 2019.
0: Bring it on! Give us more! Give us more! Where are you going? Where, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it?